Welcome back to the Twin Geeks 157 here with David as usual and uh, joined by Brogan, our uh, Bakshi expert um, enthusiast of animation. Uh, would you say you're a bit of a uh, animator, a drawer yourself? You're you're in the comics industry, correct? <laughs> yeah, 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 I am. I, I, I enjoy that entire field. Uh, the only other person I think, I think everyone would be qualified, but like Murph also was pretty excited when he heard about it. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoy... I enjoy all forms of uh, of comics and art and all that stuff. You say you're an underground artist. Uh. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not like. Well, you know, not like this. <laughs> we're, we're not getting any X-rated cartoons from you anytime soon, bro. I'm disappointed. I to hear wish. That. You know what? Let's let's see what happens. You know. Uh, would you say some of your web comics have more views than these Bakshi movies do on Letterboxd? <laughs> <laughs> possible yeah i didn't realize how limited of releases these got until i looked into it. i was like oh my gosh yeah and still not that that broadly seen at least on the letterbox yeah, i'm sure they've been seen over the years by many people who hadn't gotten to letterbox yet so. I, th I think I the internet definitely like opened up like a realm for it you know yeah well and i think bakshi's name as an artist definitely has sold his his films even more so uh, you're you're watching these for for the artist and the person behind them and who has the vision, which is you know pretty clear throughout the films here. Whether he's working in, in a mode that is very centric to him and very low budget, very underground, or more uh, you know guided towards a a, a wider audience, uh, particularly you know in, in the fantasy films, which you know are, are tapping into a very specific market, as we'll kind of get into. Uh, they they all have a very quintessential backsheet feel to them. I, I saw a story, uh, it was an interview with Ralph, and he, and this is like probably about five or six years ago when he was doing his Kickstarter. Um, apparently he cited that his son was like teaching in, in some, somewhere, and like an 11 year old literally asked the question, are you the son of Ralph Bakshi? And it's like, how does an 11 year old know this? What are you watching? Yeah. <laughs> Who's letting you do this? I'm very concerned for what your parents have been up to. <laughs> Um, but I, you're right about the name. That's yeah, yeah. And it's uh, grown in such stature for all the people that he's influenced and worked with, and those people who went on to make things and is beginning. So, of course, uh, we begin as we always do with the um, where our subject was born. We talk about their early childhood, um, their trauma. No, no, we talk about uh, their <laughs> professionalized uh, you know, documentary twins. Funny enough, this is actually the second filmmaker we're covering whose parents fled from the Nazis. I thought that was an interesting thread to come across. Oh, interesting. Um, and they, they fled to, it looks like he was born in Israel. Is it, they fled to there? Uh, I, I think, it was, I it think was Palestine at the time. I, now yeah, it's Israel. I, think, I think Israel might have taken it at some point. Yeah, that's, that maybe something we, we uh, gloss over for this, this this podcast, not quite qualified to go into. It seemed like too much depth to go into, but uh, I thought about uh, introducing it as, yeah. Was, no, but it's an but important needless part. To say, needless to say, Judaism is a huge part of his culture and his heritage yes. and his films. So, yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely. And uh, also where they ended up in, in the uh, kind of dingier parts of, of New York City. Uh, mm -hmm. Grew up in a lot of uh, racially diverse neighborhoods. Um, and those spaces and the people that he interacted with growing up in that area 
also has an immense impact on his work and forms a lot of the things and and cultures that he's interested in depicting, particularly in the early ones. So yep. the the blend yep. of those uh, together with his personal background and his his lived experience uh, is kind of a huge moniker for his films. And, and like to say it, like there was a period in time, I'm not sure how long it was. Uh, there was a period in time where he was actually in, because when he was a kid, uh, schools in America were still segregated. So he was actually actively in a black segregated school for a period of time. They removed him eventually due to possible controversy. They were scared, but like there was a period in time where he lived in certain environments that would go on to influence him forward. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting concoction that created the mind of Ralph Bakshi there, who uh, was definitely a, a iconoclast for, for animation and he wanted to do things his own way different. And I think uh, a voice like his, is the reason we're drawn to it even more today uh, than when he was making his movies um, is perhaps because we keep, we, we see this continued homogenization of, of animated films uh poss possibly you could argue even more than it was uh during that time period where he, you know you, you did have he was railing against the likes of disney and we're still seeing that and it's a problem that's only continuing to fester cal <laughs> well um i think it's interesting to look at like his early history especially with like terry tunes and what that led into with his works um you could really see like the um social background in all of his works. I think every, uh, besides one, everything we touch on today should have at least social issues combined in it that seem very relevant today. Yeah. But to, to talk on the Terry Tunes thing, I didn't, I didn't do like a super deep dive in research. I, I'm more so when I, when I looked into it, I looked into his attitudes, words from his mouth. And like, he talked about um, how, how he tried to make it as an animator. Originally, he started just doing cleanups. And mm -hmm. then eventually he would try to squeeze in some of his own uh pages or cells into the the thing and eventually at some point in time they were like all right you're gonna do it no matter what so let's just make you work for it and then and then it just happened which is i think speaks to his work ethic and if you see him comment one of his biggest like things was one of his biggest regrets was how hard he worked and how how hard it would be to explain to his family how hard animation is uh especially at the time mm. you know he worked on a variety of animated uh, projects, but particularly on television, because in the 60s, that's where a lot of that stuff was, uh, you know, being made, you know, the, the most prolific stuff. Uh, there, there was kind of a dearth of animated films in the 60s, even from like Disney, they only made like a handful. Um, and so he did stuff like he worked on the, uh, the Mighty Mouse show and he worked on uh, the 60s Spider-Man and uh, Rocket Robin Hood and, and these kind of, you know, more kind of corny serial stuff before he decided to move into feature work um, with uh, his, his first film. Do we have any more background or do we want to get into Fritz? Oh, just like with some of that early stuff, even in like that 60s Spider-Man, you could see a lot of psychedelic elements kind of creeping in and uh, some of the stuff he did around that uh, still kind of weirding out the uh, system he was in. And then, of course, uh, Yellow Submarine came out and kind of changed what could be done in the movies. So that leads into him uh, doing something even more alternative with the Fritz the Cat. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there was, uh, again, I, I think largely because, you know, the big players like Disney were kind of off the scene at the time, it did really open the door for, you know, the more avant-garde, kind of offbeat stuff, uh, heavy stylized animated films to really come take the forefront and uh, do things that were different. This is also, um, you know, in, in the same decade, we're going to see stuff like uh, Watership Down, and we're going to see um, Fantastic Planet and, and, you know, other offbeat, uh, different, you know... What a time. <laughs> the, the Point also came out in this period. Yeah. And, and this was also, again, on, like, television, you've got, your, like, even your... Uh, on, on, you know, children's name stuff, you know, you've got, like, your Schoolhouse Rock, you know, kind of animation, which I think a lot of people, you know, can kind of picture in their mind what that is. And, and that's kind of the, the tenor of style that animation was thinking more towards in the 60s as opposed to the more clean you know fluid look of your kind of classic you know golden age disney films possibly just meeting the social consciousness at the moment too like uh before the 60s nothing like this uh would have made too much sense of course as soon as animation was invented people were drawing nudity and shit on it it's just yeah uh, that... fritz the cat's just like the first feature film that was like distributed with this stuff well, that's, i believe that's one, of, that's one of the interesting things i think about Ralph's work and particularly this relationship he has with the history of animation and that he understands because yeah you're 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 right and that animation did start out you know even like the the, the Max Fleischer cartoons they were you know exactly. intentionally pornographic they were they were body and they were you know <laughs> sexual and they were meant as you know kind of titillation is is what they were going for and a kind of combination of humor and sexiness to create a uh, entertainment and again specifically for adults the idea that animation was for kids didn't come around for some time until disney really took the scene and try to you know and was making things like pinocchio and bambi and what, yeah, certainly what? even those early disney's i mean even those two have touches of like uh yeah these aren't these aren't just for little kids i mean these are uh uh, Bambi has a lot of scariness in it. Uh, Ezra's still not ready for Bambi, let's say. Uh, but but some of those earlier Disney works are even darker. And well, uh, and they were really uh, even the early shorter Disney uh, films, the, the the little shorts that they had in front of the films and stuff. They were, you know, largely slapstick humor, kind of you know lowbrow stuff. They were movies for working class individuals mm. you, and you can see it in things like there's what you know if, if we just want to pick into the history of cinema for a second here and we take out that scene from Preston Surge's Sullivan's Travels where they're watching Pluto cartoon and and you can see how it lights up the room of, of full of adults you know and, and that's really who the audience was, was primarily for was for working class individuals as opposed to children primarily and the that just changed over time. Um, and yeah, I think Bakshi was looking to re-inherit re -inherit the, uh, you know, the roots of animation uh, for film. Uh, not to go super, not to go super cynical, but for me, there's a narrative here about Bakshi's approach and, and like that advent of like, oh, it's becoming more homogenous and more for kids, uh, like animation in general, I mean, uh, and it, I think it's in regards to Bakshi having difficulty, maybe not actually finding an audience. I think there is an audience there for his work, but to distributors, to producers, they looked at his work and they were like, who could we sell this to? Whereas eventually animators and animation production and all that, Disney was like, kids, 
kids kids is the answer every time and that that probably sort of spearheads and informs a lot of when we go into these movies i ask myself a question of who is this for a lot but honestly that question's a good question because i guess we'll get into it when we get into it but yeah yeah well uh, is there anything else to get into before we get into it well, there wasn't quite much diversity in the animation rooms prior to like some of Bakshi's movements. So a lot of his uh, influence, at least a, what I would say is meaningful influence is also diversifying the field and allowing new voices. And of course you have like Floyd Norman, some of the early uh, Disney animators, but there were just a few in a large bunch of white uh, men with one perspective. So uh, Bakshi really opened the door and kind of um, continued what Norman and others were already working at. That's, a, that's another good point to bring up actually there, Calvin, is the uh, the div diversity of voices in terms of depiction and such that he has, and also collaborators, you know, who we, you know, the consultants that he had and, you know, depicting some of the subjects and stuff, uh, you know, whereas the, the Disney films, the, the homogenous mainstream animation was entirely white-centric, you know, nostalgic-centric, you know, fantasy-centric. Um, not telling any kind of stories tangible to a, a wider, diverse audience necessarily. The, their their universal messaging only went so far. Um, and again, particularly as we got into the '60s and the you know Walt's death at that time period, and the, the total drop off of quality that happened for a bit, and just the entire counterculture explosion in the late '60s, early '70s that just entirely revolutionized the the film industry and the types of films that were being made it really opened the pathway for a film like fritz the cat to be made which could not have existed at any time prior. <laughs> possibly after it feels so yeah, yeah. Uh, it had to be born in that moment i think to get what it is across and it's it's kind of interesting because it's a uh it's a reflection on like the death of the, the 60s on the sexual <laughs> revolution uh, just kind of right in its like immediate aftermath as well. It's already kind of a contemplation of that, a, a crude contemplation, you could say, but I think a, a contemplation nonetheless that has some merit and value. Uh, already showing that the the values kind of promoted in free love were always bullshit, were always uh, a, a kind of lie, uh, a, another means of men to be able to you know, sexually subjugate uh, women in lots of ways, uh, particularly in the, the earlier halves and the these kind of ideas of, of revolution, how they're, uh, you know, from, from students and such, how they're fomented from a, a desire for change more so than actual practical, you know, uh, practicality. Yeah, the re revolution's harmed by the revolutionaries. The people in it aren't acting in good faith always. Are, are we now in Fritz the Cat? Are we, I, think are we yeah, so. I think we're there. I think we're there. I don't want to be. I, I don't love <laughs> Fritz the Cat as much as you all might, or as much as it I would, deserves I would say love. its status. I would, I would never say the word love. I admire, it's unlovable. I admire yeah. Fritz the Cat. Um, uh, okay, so I don't know where to start with Fritz the Cat. I guess oh. here's what I'll say. I think I think the, the thesis I have for Th Fritz the Cat is the the source material has a core counterculture appeal. Obviously, it came from Robert Crumb in the in the sixties, Zap Comics, um, and it has a lot of a lot of the elements you see in the film are from the comic. However, there is a lot that holds uh, 
holds back she back from what he wants to talk about um i i would say to the sentiment of the free love the psychedelia the sort of intellectualism uh and the the fakeness of it crumb has that but crumb is almost i guess to communicate the idea he's almost exactly like the character of fritz the cat where he when he makes the work it's mostly the fantasy of him uh, doing these things, being exciting, uh, having sex, all this stuff. And then um, Bakshi comes in and tries to work with what he's got. He likes the, the crudeness of it. He likes the sort of taking of these uh, classic ideas of like a furry cartoon character and sort of making it more adult, more graphic, more suitable for or more palatable. No, I shouldn't say that, but like, you know what I mean, <laughs> right? <not> <laughs> like, <laughs> more, more something. Uh, but he also tries to insert his own commentary. For instance, uh, the synagogue scene is not, is not yeah. anything. No. Crumb uh, was raised Catholic. So he has no, no perspective on that at all. And um, I guess we'll go into with later films, but there is a much heavier focus on when the crows are on screen and Fritz the Cat, much more of a heavier focus on their perspectives and their dialogues. Whereas when Crumb did it in the comic, it's just like, it's there, he's there to say it. And then he's like, yep, that happened. Let's, let's move on. And all the shallow stuff is there. You know there what I mean? There's something to be said for the the animal caricatures as stand-in for particular uh, r racial groups that's, I think, a little muddled in its ultimate intent, uh, especially when you bring in the humorous, but again, complicating metaphor of pigs, uh, all cops are pigs. Great, great joke, great vis visualization there. But then there's also a, you know, they, again, back to the synagogue scene, one of them is explicitly Jewish which gets confused with all of the Jewish, you know, uh, patrons in the, in the synagogue being lions. Um, so, and, and I, again, I also like the double joke of a pig that is, that is Jewish as a cop. I, I think there's humorous elements mixed in there, but it becomes muddled and mixed. And again, with the metaphor, especially you said with the crows representing black characters, it's not consistent all the way through there. And so it gets, it just gets muddled a little bit. It's, it's not a major complaint. There's bigger issues with the film, but it's definitely one that kind of trips me up every time I see it. It's like, oh, it's kind of a contradiction here. And they have uh, women who, their tails come out of their assholes. They're uh, not friendly. <laughs> what, what do you guys think of the depiction of uh, overt sex on the screen in, in Fritz the Cat? <laughs> Um, I would say personally, it is um, crude, not needed, could definitely be cut, but is also very essential to the character, which is why I say the adaptation, uh, the source material holds it back. You know what I mean? Um, where where that is the primary, I a primary element. So Bakshi couldn't get around that. But also, I think to speak to one of Bakshi's flaws, I think Bakshi likes it, uh, or at the very least, maybe the producers did or someone did where in the production they they pushed for it like it's clearly dominant where it shouldn't be as i would is what i would say mm. calvin what do you think um there's a lot of it uh you have to you have to confront a lot of it and wade through it i think the 
I think there's an approach in Fritz the Cat where there's an immaturity to everything, to the sex, to the violence, and it's a. Uh, um, I don't mind sex. I think sex is uh, really important in the movies, uh, but the maturity of sex and the, the understanding of sex is more important to me than uh, displaying it for the vulgarity of the the action. Of course, this mm-hmm. needs to confront something, but uh, um, I guess my my larger problem with Fritz the Cat going uh, expanding on that is a. Uh, the same as probably crumbs which is that the original work is supposed to be the uh, author as a proxy for the character and uh crumbs problem with the movie was it wasn't narrated <laughs> by bakshi that's all he wanted was bakshi to narrate his character and uh yeah. to insert the author onto the character well I'm, I'm gonna take a bit of a dissenting opinion for you guys on the sex of the film because i'm gonna say just that i oh I, david I, loved it i like it <laughs> oh all right okay right. Yeah, we're getting to the good part now. So I, I like it in the in the sense that I think what Bakshi wants to do with it is effective. I find it, like, titillating, entertaining, humorous. Again, it's, it's right back to where the origins of cartoons were in terms of the effect that they're trying to create. It's this surface-level, you know, kind of satisfaction, but it's kind of exactly what I want out of what the movie is selling me here. You know, again, just just looking at the the, the poster, the, you know, what it's trying to sell you is just this, you know, the whole appeal of it is a, it's an X-rated cartoon. You know, it's going to have lots of sex and fucking, and, you know, uh, drugs and violence and uh, swearing. And that's another thing that I, I like about it a lot. I think it, this was more so on the second watch. This is my second time seeing it. And I caught this time is that I think the film has a very natural awareness of profanity. And it's not something I think about a lot in movies, but you can tell a lot when, you know, a kind of fabricated, you know, fuck is just thrown out or whatever. It doesn't just, you know, feel into the dialogue very naturally. And the way Fritz's character talks, the way he, you know, very casually and liberally uses profanity as an accentuation of his thoughts, uh, just feels very natural, very common for how anyone else uses them. Um... And, and so that was an interesting thing I thought it stood out. I was like, oh, okay, this feels authentic. There's a lot of this that feels authentic to me. If mm-hmm. if the whole is kind of this this cruder, wider depiction, uh, particularly as it rambles on, uh, it gets kind of messier and more confused. But yeah, the the, the sex itself, uh, as with uh, Bakshi's other films, I, I feel like I'm riding the same wavelength as he is in terms of what I'm oh, looking no. for. <laughs> I, I just feel like animated pornography. I mean, I'm fine with all nudity and everything, but once there's, you know, once it's really going, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with the Well, there's, the there's, side of there's it. more than just normal in here. I mean, yeah, there's, exactly. there's a lot of abnormal. Let's just say that. Uh, there's things I wanted to say. We could go back to, we could go back to sex if you want, David. But we'll, I'm going to jump off <laughs> it. Dude, it when back. I pitched, when I pitched a Ralph Bakshi podcast, you guys had to know that this was coming up. No, no. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little bit different, but I will agree with you in some ways. Okay, so like to compare and contrast, because I'm going to keep using the source material here. I'm also going to be doing this a little bit with Lord of the Rings. But anyways, what I like about uh, Fritz the Cat as a film is. Crumb did a crumb did, crumb did a lost everything in black and white pretty much. So everything was in heavy detail or heavy ink or things like that. Um, so Bakshi couldn't do that with animation. So what he did was he focused on color, which he would go on to use a lot of and exploit, especially when he would dive further into use of photography, et cetera, et cetera, where he would become more pronounced in color, but he would also try to 
focus on reactions in that sort of slapstick style. And perhaps I think one of the delicate balances, and I think this is also, I think an ongoing problem with Bakshi is I think sometimes the slapstick balance, you could say about the violence or you could say it about the sex, the, the slapstick part of it sort of doesn't, sometimes it meshes perfectly to where you completely understand the sensibilities, but other times it sort of obfuscates to where you're not you're not really understanding everything you're understanding everything he's doing but then you're like whoa what's going on here like uh just i i think of the moment where he's where uh the trucker goes out and he's going to fix uh fritz and uh winston's car and this is a moment added by bakshi where he takes the thing and he's like i'm good at fixing stuff and then he bashes the chickens dead and then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm real good at fixing stuff. There's what I like is that there's commentary there about the character, which was added and like more more of a perspective there. But also it it's it's an egregious thing that's very ugly. And I don't think necessarily plays well. There, Does that make sense? A, yeah, there's an even worse example just a little bit after that moment well, in the film. Yeah. Uh, where, again slapstick and violence are married together in a kind of horrific and off-putting way that does have a kind of commentary to it but is also just flat out uncomfortable and you know is unpleasant just just generally without it really having any kind of merit to it beyond that very thin it, it, idea of contrast it's moments like those where you it's moments like those when you're watching it, you're you're getting it. But then I this is one of the this is probably one of my biggest problems is when I watch it, I go, there's got to have been a better way to do this. <laughs> and honestly, regarding production budget and like all of his hurdles, there probably was a better way. But that was probably the only way. Does yeah, that make sense? That's that's a consistent thread through about all of these films is budgetary constraints are going to dictate a lot of creative decisions here for better and worse. Yeah. Here yeah. mostly worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah it's again, just an I, unenjoyable film. I mean it's it's ugly, it's it's nasty. I mean it's getting its point across, it's important, but uh I don't enjoy watching any part of it or anything. Uh, I I I enjoy the first half of it a good bit. Yeah. I think it uh looks quite good. I like uh, Bakshi's, again, his art style is very pronounced, very uh, uh, apparent right here from the start. The The bold colors are great, like you like you point out, bro. And again, you only kind of consistently built on from there. You you already get the hints of him picking up on uh, like um, real world dialogue where he, he goes uh, in the intro, he records people on the streets of New York and integrates them into his film. Uh, same thing with like the bars. He 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 gets actual dialogue from recording people in bars and incorporates that into the scenes with the uh, the, the the black characters. Uh, and and I do think there is some powerful messaging hidden in there in terms of how the the violence is is recreated uh, upon the characters in in the midst of that. But there is also a kind of like you know un untruthful notion that kind of rings through where an entire neighborhood of um you know uh, uh black characters is you know riled up into a, a, a mob state by a single like you know kind of lackadaisical white college student yeah. who who doesn't just, fight by just, spouting, the revolution. just, yeah. just spouting a bunch of revolutionary buzzwords Again, fantasy it's all the fantasy 
there's there's an uncomfortable notion of of kind of like like stoking you know the, the these these propagandistic fires uh against those communities that doesn't sit right but uh yeah. it's and and again that, that that's a case where it's like bakshi has has his ideas in the right place he's got his got his foot in the door of what he wants to say but inevitably kind of just fumbles it because he doesn't really get it in, in well its to be fair that's also in the comic literally the riots in the comic okay so that's good to know that's good to know as well so, yeah, it is. It, yeah yes so like Again, there's moments, so like- But, but is it the execution? Is the execution the same? Because that's what it really comes down to. Oh, no, it's it's done differently. That's, I think, one of, that's one of the things I don't like about the film is it treats it treats his death. Uh, there's a crow's death who's like sort of the crow Fritz hangs around with during that moment. It's I, it's basically the Fritz is bugging out sequence. That's what that's what it's called in the strip or whatever. And it's it's meant to be played- in a very serious note, and it is a very serious moment because somebody dies. The but death again, is, but the lead up to it is, yes, is done as farce. It's like yes, farcical. That's that's the issue, is and that's I think where we're talking about the marriage of cartoon and reality. What I like is when Bakshi wants to have a real authentic voice. Is as you say, he records the people, uses photography. One of his obsessions is trying to make animation feel real. And feel human and genuine even when it's rough so i think that's when you especially when we go into less problematic works that's when you start to forgive things where it's like well it feels honest at least you know mm -hmm. i think that's definitely something you see kind of throughout these it, it, at the very least from in terms of like a, an art style and aiming to capture something Bakshi always feels like he's being honest Yep. That's, I think, the, the big revolutionary thing about it really is the thing David brought up and profiled up on with the, the crows in the bar and uh, the documentary approach of taking the tape recorder and uh, getting the on the street people. That's such a unique thing. Like you never, um, not only did you not hear those characters, but uh, to see them represented as like the ugly stereotypes that have come up in the movies and have come up in like those uh, uh, minstrel settings and then to reinterpret that in your show with like actual uh, voices from the streets and uh, to to contrast those together it's just powerful great mm -hmm. idea and, and it's not hidden and yeah. this is another big thing is that it's very apparent that these are different voices being recorded from the primary voice actors here that these are real people in real settings having real conversations and that's being integrated into the film he doesn't try and like like disguise that or anything he makes it very prominent and obvious really makes me what i mean you know it's getting closer but uh like bro saying he's interested in the reality i wish it were uh, more common to do a documentary approach with animation back then as it is now mm -hmm. uh again I, I think those are the more promising elements of the film uh the second half is where it just kind of really falls off it gets it's the plotting na yeah. narratively confusing it's, it's poorly paced it gets even <laughs> worse in terms of its depictions of of certain aspects uh you, you've got the the drugged up Nazi character beating his girlfriend to a bloody pulp and it's just yeah. ugly and heinous and not it, it doesn't even have any kind of particular commentary to it and again the plot's just so far gone by them it's very confused and then it kind of just caps off with another orgy scene yeah <laughs> sure does I think yeah all five movies today I think have pacing and plotting problems of some kind um Mm -hmm. uh, but most apparent in this one, I think. Yeah, this is one where I'm like, I could, I, I was feeling better about it on second watch, 
up up through about the halfway point. Once they start going to the desert, then it's like, oh, shit, it's all it's all downhill. There's nothing. <laughs> literally, here. literally. Okay, okay. So the film is like multiple small stories crumb made kind of strewn together like kind of made into like a semi-coherent thing but they literally introduce a girlfriend in the in the second half of the film with the desert portion they use the same name as a girl from prior right. no and they it's, bring it's the girl this, prior is it not it's the so same stupid. character i don't know and it's, it's not but it, it but they try to make it so, so it all sort of tries to make sense, and it doesn't make sense. And she has a, she has a completely different demeanor as a character, and yes. it kind of reinforces this like like shitty idea of like a nagging girlfriend. Again, just yep. like these these entirely foreign concepts to the film and the characters as they were established previously, uh, and it's very disorienting. <laughs> and again, all for nothing. Like it doesn't really add anything. It doesn't create any further entertainment value and whatever commentary because at least in the beginning you're like you've got the the commentary on the sexual revolution and you know the you know the changing of the the, the generational shifts you've got you know the racial commentary and the power structures and you know anti-police sentiments and then there's just like this nazi biker and there these these revolutionaries that are going to blow up uh it's, it's like a tower or something like a power i believe it's like an electric tower or something yeah yeah i i don't know so like that so like those sections like for instance the the winston section where they drive on a road trip is also from the comic literally all the shittiness of like oh you got you need bible the the nagging is is from the comic the the abandonment is from the comic where it's like oh i don't need i don't need her let's see who needs who fritz is a very bad character very unpleasant and and literally like it's so weird so like the 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 terrorist portion is part of it back she tried to make it worse like he tried to make them less likable because that's how like problematic crumb is if you're thinking this is bad Mm -hmm. whoa buddy it it Um, definitely sounds like some of the inherent issues with the film are material issues yes not not, not I, I, actually I, I i would stress that there's a lot of voice here that is being like undermined by the source material which is i think my thesis for the film here mm-hmm. um uh, yeah and like okay so the nazi part i think back she added that so it wouldn't surprise know, me he, he he's kind of interested in nazis yes he yeah, exactly. yeah he, has, he has the commentary and then he puts that in to make them look worse and try to make it look bad but then I guess the issue is, is like Fritz is, tr- I guess, spoiler, I'm just going to say it. They, they gang rape a woman here. Yeah. Fritz, Fritz soft spokenly says, don't do it. And then consoles her afterwards, which is not the glowing praise of a character. No. And again, it's, it's all ugly and, and kind of insidious and, uh, just nonsensical for you know everything that came before. There's a, there's a lot of promise and coherence, I think, despite the kind of rougher edges in the beginning, and then it just totally shits the bed. Yeah, um, Krum liked it so little that he ended up killing the character off. Despite um, originally, Bakshi was going to make more than one movie. Uh, another one was made anyway, but uh, it, that didn't happen for him. So. If you can find uh, any interview where Bakshi talks about Fritz the Cat, he'll go on a long tangent about <laughs> his relationship with Crumb and how upset Crumb was about s- stuff that he had no say in, and specifically connections <laughs> to Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat. And it's just, it was like a like a ten minute 
diatribe is all more like, man, he's got a lot of baggage about this. <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, it's one example where, uh, you know, maybe the market was finally ready. This did exceptionally well, like it did. I think it's still the, the highest uh, grossing uh, adult cartoon of all time, uh, or at least uh, adjusted for inflation. But uh, uh, despite that, it doesn't mean the creators will be fine with it. It doesn't mean that uh, protest groups are going to come out against his next few movies. Um, you know, there's, yep. there's still going to be, mm -hmm. a, if you're revolutionary, you have to, you have to face the people and uh, uh, the people that are part of the institution against you. I'm sure the the novelty factor had a lot to do with its initial success. The idea of oh, it's an it's an X-rated cartoon. It's a cartoon for adults. There's going to be sex and stuff in it. You know, let's let's go check it out. And uh, I think that novelty factor is there. But I don't think it's just the novelty factor. Is the other thing there there is you know these ideas of commentaries. You know, looking back at uh, the the sexual revolution and stuff and the counterculture and everything. It's all in there. Uh, just the level of you know, execution is kind of all, all over the place in terms of where it succeeds and where it just doesn't at all. Sure. Um, yeah. Rogan, you have a finishing thoughts on this before we... Uh, I I don't know how I feel about this movie. I don't know okay. how I feel about any of these movies. <laughs> no, that's this fair. Is, this is one of those, this is one of those directors where you watch the film and you kind of like it. You sit back and you respect it, but you also don't like it. It's, it's. Yeah. I, I think ranking this is gonna be hard. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. In some ways, very easy. In some ways, hard. Yeah, makes there, sense. There, there are directors that make masterpieces, and then there are directors who make really interesting works across a, a period of time that all kind of have their rough spots, but all all have something interesting to them. These interesting <laughs> tweaks or you know characteristics uh, and. Uh, Bakshi definitely falls into one camp rather than the other. Well, I didn't uh, find much depth in like the social commentary. Of course, like relative to like uh, black authors of the time or of American yeah. history, there's like very little depth in okay, here. It's, but uh, it's there. It's yeah, it's, it's surface, surface level. Yeah, yeah. for an X-rated cartoon, <laughs> I just don't want to give the impression that pretty high tier <laughs> stuff. I don't want to give the impression this is like an actual interrogation, and it will give you like new things to think about. You've seen no. these things, you know no. these yes, things. Not at all. Uh, yeah. But it's of its time, it's very important, very radicalizing of uh, new directors and, of course, diversifying, uh, which brings a lot of things that I really like about Heavy Traffic into the fold, I think, especially that uh, that startup song there and uh, playing into the pinball is a beautiful metaphor for city life. A gorgeous movie at the start. I, I think Heavy Traffic takes the the aesthetics, the ideals of the kind of urban environments uh, that Bakshi's really fixated on that you see in Fritz the Cat and personalizes them in a way that is really successful. It's still kind of messy from a narrative standpoint. Um, you know, it's still rough around the edges, but it's it's a bit more artistically interesting. And I think the, the wraparound, the live action framing devices uh, create this kind of interesting... Uh, tableau of reflection of Bakshi as an artist. Uh, it, I, I don't think it's unfair to call this film autobiographical in some ways. There's definitely some mirroring elements of Bakshi. It's a, it's a film about a cartoonist in, you know, uh, inner city New York, uh, kind of trying to, to find his way, so to speak, and the various characters and, and people he meets up with. Uh, and there's definitely, again, there's another recurrence of the, the Jewish identity there with his relationship with his mother um, and that. And 
So it's a very interesting kind of personal reflection. I like the way it kind of comes around. And again, because it is about this live-action character escaping into this fantasy of animation to interpret, you know, his his situation, it does feel like Bakshi's, you know, metatextually reflecting on that himself and what he wants to do with the medium. For me, heavy traffic um, has... It is probably the most, I think I, I think I respect this film the most in terms of technique and stuff, mainly mm-hmm. because there's so many different elements of merging reality or different types of animation. Like for instance, Michael's animation, you can tell when his animation's on screen. You can tell when he's drawing something, right? Or, or just all those different elements or the elements of reality, like the ending, all those play in a much more intentional way that sort of, even though they may jar and hit ya, um, they all feel purposeful in a way that in other uh, films may feel a little bit more limiting. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, there are, again, and this is another case where like caricature pops up as a means of kind of forcing an audience to reconcile with something. This is this is where the, the kind of inklings of Bakshi's history and, you know, knowledge of the history of animation really first stood out to me. You've got those, you know, you know, uh, black and white drawings more so that, that Michael does in the film. And particularly you get these very overt uh, black stereotype characters in, in a number of them. But uh, in, instead of finding it offensive, you know, or, or kind of grotesque, uh, again, to me, it, it felt like a kind of confrontation. It felt like asking the audience to say, to, to, to look at it and say, this is the medium, this is the history of this, this is what these are built off of. We're, we are, you know, living in debt, you know, your, your Mickey Mouses and stuff are, you know, uh, intentionally drawing from the roots of minstrelsy for, for their depictions, all their, their slapstick antics and the way they're, they're drawn and stuff. That's where it comes from. And, you know, uh, the, the more this goes on, the more they're, you know, we're seeking to erase that but i'm not going to i'm going to you know yeah mickey mouse certainly does not want us to remember anything yes yeah and 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 bakshi is is not only just engaging with that that history as a means of confrontation but as a means of kind of uh reorienting it and again by by putting black characters at, at the center of his story he's allowing that history to be rewritten in in a positive light without erasing the, the history of, of how animation depicts those characters before. I I feel like there's also another angle here where this is another thing you'll also see it in Coonskin regarding his opinions towards the mafia, right? Yeah. And and in in Coonskin, the mafia is done in a much more, especially the Godfather himself. Uh, the Godfather here is much more portrayed as just a deathly figure, whereas. <laughs> Whereas, and, and gluttonous, but in Kunskin, it's to an extra degree, right? But and anyways, it should this be noted one, that the, uh, the the Italian mafia looms large here as yes. the, in, in the wake of the film, The Godfather coming out, mm-hmm. so much so that the character's name is Michael Corleone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no relation, but there's a relation, you know what I mean? Yeah, a year yeah. after, yeah, it's uh, not connected. It's, 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 it's not unintentional. <laughs> but but I was I was gonna say I think the criticisms 
here work better regarding the mafia and the Italian portion of it better because of Michael's person, personal life, the family, specifically his father. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Coonskin is more, or just like a straight indictment of, mm. of the Godfather. And that's it. That's, that's all there is to it. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, pretty funny actually to make a Michael Corleone of your movie, a, a pinball virgin <laughs> after the Godfather, uh, right a, a year after that. That's pretty funny. And I like about, um, heavy traffic that it incorporates, as I think back, she would go on to say in interviews that uh, everything he really wanted to do in Fritz the cat, he was able to do once he was outside of those like animalistic, like anthropomorphized characters, he was able to actually give them identity and, uh, racial characteristics that were able to more, uh, suitably address larger concerns without, you know, animalizing them makes it rough to, to really oh, dig they, in. Oh, and, they, and they feel like very human characters. Carol, in particular, is is very lovingly depicted and characterized in the film, I would say. She's very uh, sympathetically uh, realized and particularly drawn. The, you know, she's, she's done in such a, a, a flattering and human way without striving away from the cartoonish art style entire or, or, or without straying from the cartoonish art style uh completely um she I, I like the way her character is designed and the way she is presented throughout the film um as a kind of central piece uh to go along with michael in terms of having these kind of uh mirroring but totally divergent issues uh that define and kind of oversee their entire lives and how that kind of uh, that that brings them together in in ways that make them kind of fit into you know two pieces to become more of a uh, a unit. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you talked about the fantasy element. I, I'm just like trying to like per, I'm trying to per, put in perspective the ending because the ending of the film to yeah. me, um, it it says so much about their relationship and then the relationship between Michael fantasy and reality and cartoons whereas it basically at the end of the film uh michael gets shot and it goes into reality it's live action but it's also slapstick still that's what i thought was so weird i was like Mm -hmm. oh like it that like even though it's it's real it feels so cartoony still and then you get to the relationship where michael's still trying to talk to um Oh no, the name just name. You just said the name. What? Carol? Carol. Carol, yeah, yeah. He he talks to Carol. And at first it's it's a very like distant like, I don't know, you get away from me. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into a more blossoming, beautiful sort of thing. And I I think it's a really nice. I like this film. This is probably my favorite film, at least of Bakshi's own personal voice. I might like the fantasy stuff more for less stumbling in social commentary, but this here I think works really well. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the the moment when Michael is shot was the moment the film really came to life for me. Which uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing because that's like towards the end. That's like basically the end <laughs> of the film. But but that moment in particular, that just that just that one moment, really made me kind of like sit back and take stock for a moment because it's a very slow scene of the bullet just kind of going through him and this carnage being rendered. And it was it was this heavy moment of uh, and and it felt like the death was like you, you really felt the impact of it and seeing in this kind of gory detail in animation really kind of made me take a step back and say, well, okay, there is something to be done with the medium for adult specific eyes here. You know, 
you can achieve an effect in animation that live action can't replicate. And again, it's, it, you know, it's something that is not at all oriented to children. It's, you know, it's, it's for, uh, you know, in an effective way that is, um, not, not just, you know, grotesque or, or violent for the sake of violence. It was something that was emotionally impactful and amplified by the way it was being depicted. You know, there's there's another. Mo this is my, probably my favorite moment in the film. My favorite moment in the film, and I I also think these are the best moments possibly of the this section of the Bakshi work, is Ida, which is Michael's mother, talking, having a soliloquy as photos of her family, like real actual human photos, are in the background, and she goes, "Oh, that's my grandma. That's my ma," and then. And then I think at the end, this is another one of those moments where reality and cartoons blend. The cart, she's a cartoon, very real, weird cartoon. Yeah. It's like the entire film, her titty just keeps popping out. It's, it's that's wild. that's that's very common for a Banshee film. Again, just just titties just popping out all the time. <laughs> As David said, titillation. <laughs> but but this is a very serious moment. Um, and what what's really nice, I think, is at the very end, it shows a picture of her. And she, she goes, I can't rec. Oh, that's me. She didn't recognize herself at first. And, and that's the moment where reality, that's the moment for me where reality and cartoons hit, where it's like, she's unrecognizable because she's literally a cartoon. She looks like a caricature, a ridiculous notion of a person, but then there's a real person behind there and she, she finally sees it, you know? Mm -hmm. You get a lot more of the real world cartoon blend here, especially with the, the with the picture backgrounds for everything as the kind of templates, you know, these these real world environments that cartoons are living in and operating within as an extension of the thoughts and feelings of a person in the real world. Again, you know, dictated by the, the bookending scenes there. And I, I think largely the film walks that line and, and portrays it very well as this kind of personal expression and it does feel avant-garde it does feel like more of an art film than you know just a, a, a more kind of populous x-rated you know uh novelty that fritz the cat was you know um but it still falters in places it still has hang-ups and issues again pacing is is a continual issue but I think the bigger one this time is uh, again more more caricaturing of uh, minorities. In this case, it's a particularly kind of gross I, I demonization of a trans character. That's that's really rough as a kind of vessel for for violence uh, enacted upon, and just this continued kind of like uh, lightning rod of ideas of. Um, unconformity I guess, uh, what's, what's the word i'm looking for here just there's just kind of this idea of every kind of extreme in terms of of sexual difference you know uh they're they're this depiction of and it's done in a really kind of nice way, way. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it's but, but at, the, at the same time it's not malicious i uh, think yeah. is is, yeah, the, it... is the thing it's a uh, like these are people that Bakshi clearly lives around and within in his community, and he wants to depict in an authentic way, but uh, can't help but just use them as a, a as this vessel for, for for slapstick and you know to to throw all these 
ideas upon. Well, well, like, th- yeah, this is a, this is a complicated issue. I have yeah. a lot of thoughts on it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to communicate all of them. In- oh, and you can see, I'm, I'm struggling to find even the words to articulate properly, properly okay. how how he's doing this, and but also yeah, how yeah. it's not, it, it, it's not like evil like he's not doing it i i I, I got it so so like okay number one this is the big thing to understand everybody in this movie every type of person is sort of caricaturized right um but as you said someone like carol is very humanized michael and carol have have a great deal of effort and detail to them um snowflake is i believe her name regarding the trans uh, Mm -hmm. person um she is drawn in a very amorphous way is the only way to say it. And that's just how he drew her. And, and I think, and yes, you're right. And especially like in terms of commentary in both this film and the next film, it's not necessarily an indictment of them, um, especially in terms of the people he's talking about in those scenes are often people who are homophobic. Uh, In this film, it is, you know, Michael's father and, um, the, the, I think it's just a random guy in the bar in this, yeah, in this film, but but I but I would say I think an issue is like for instance number one when Snowflake is hit and abused in that slapstick way it's not treated as a tragedy Snowflake likes it which is I think a major misstep I think that yeah. is a major thematic misstep if you want to sympathize and humanize with the character so like it's moments like that where I go you know I don't. I don't know necessarily where you're going. And then to bring it back to Carol, the fact that you drew them so amorphously sort of makes you question your perspective. When you humanize very specific characters and then you don't humanize others and you don't even have like any sort of light on them in that way, it, it feels it feels weird and off-putting in the improper way. Yeah. They there there is a punchline. Yes. And the punchline is sort of against the the uh homophobic character um but but, but yeah. really it's again it's, it's it's framed as that kind of you know gross idea of oh you know this trans character is trapping you know a, a straight man or, or deceiving them um and and again so it's it's all poor characterization all the way down even if the intent is yep i would agree po- possibly that it's i don't, I don't want to say it's good because it's very clearly misguided at best yes Yes. No. Yeah. I, I, I think that I think that's one of the problems with his commentary is, again, it goes into his commentary is honest. And as a cartoonist, he ha- he feels obligated to be exaggerated, be colorful, have slapstick in there. He feels like that's a normal part of it. But then again, he picks and chooses what to be respectful to. And mm-hmm. he's not respectful. here. Yeah. The people yeah. around him, you know, I'm sure he experiences people in that, that lifestyle of well, Snowflake acts as like a drag character and it's very uncomfortable, but it is a trans reality that uh, they go and it feels like uh, people react with violence when they find out about their identity. And it is a, a scary thing that uh, happens, but the way violence is perpetuated from the character, really uncomfortable in the film. Um, yep. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very poor case of it. And uh, again, uh, unlike his you know, relationship with depictions of, of black characters and their experiences, and it feels very much less like he has a sense, has his finger on the pulse of whatever is going on there. It just feels like it's something he's picked up on tangentially based on the areas he lives in. And and and, and I think if we we can continue on this thread, but we can move off the specific subject matter. 
I think that is where that blend starts to get ugly is when it comes into the slapstick. For instance, there's a moment where Michael accidentally pushes a woman over a building. And then it's like, oh, well, oh, look at me. Well, this is a cartoon. Yeah. And then and th- it, that doesn't, it doesn't ring right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you mm-hmm. can have the slapstick even. I'm not even opposed to that. But there's, but then the reactions don't feel real. You know, if the through line is is this is a cartoon, but it feels honest. Moments like that don't feel honest. Mm. And I think that uh, a lot of his violence always reads that way to me. It doesn't read as um, honest what he's trying to produce. So. Yeah, it's it's situational. You know, there's the yeah. case of the crow in in Fritz the Cat that I feel like that that lands in terms of feeling the impact of that violence, even if the sentiment leading up to it is less so. There's Michael's death, as, as we said here, you know, that, that has a significant impact, I think. But when slapstick and violence are being married, it feels like the former is undermining the latter in yeah. terms of the impact it's meant to have. Because you'll, you'll see a lot, again, there's like this juxtaposition of where you're putting, you know, like, like gore and, and violence and assault you know, in the frame of a slapstick comedy scene. Uh, and it, again, it, it feels, when you watch it, it feels like for the sake of the novelty, like, oh, look, we can have blood in our slapstick now. We can have, you know, knives and, and guns and stuff with that. It doesn't feel like it's saying anything in particular about that by framing it that way. Did you all like the look of the of the film? Like, oh, yeah. I guess yeah. I, I guess when it comes to that, I, I still I still like this movie a good bit in terms of his catalog. And again, I think this is his at the very least best effort at commentary. And the most it has the most interesting things to do and the best technical display. So for me, this this is pretty high up It's yeah. largely it's largely successful. Uh, again, it's pacing wise, it's a bit jumbled around and still has some ugly aspects to it, but I think it's real earnest and uh, it's got a personal through line that is is quite affecting, I think, and potentially the best kind of encapsulation of Bakshi's attitude as a filmmaker. The music I, here is also probably the best. Yes. I, I like yeah, the song. Very good. I like the music. The music, the score is very good. And uh, um, also important movie because, uh, well, you wanted to go for an R rating, got another X rating, then became um the first person uh since walt does disney to have like two successful animation films in theaters uh, I, I one after another. That, how did he expect any of this to get an r rating you know yeah uh, you, you got like a, a lot of nudity throughout for just one thing which i think would disqualify it right out the gate <laughs> you think um, uh, well nudity uh, shouldn't do it but i mean yeah well, also I mean, penetration time, and yeah, yeah. yeah penetration and violence will go together and you get x it, and also, like, th- that's one of those elements where animation cartoons, especially culturally, where people do think, you know, like, oh, because the- this hadn't been done before. People would get offended at that. And then just it, the-, the fact that it gets exaggerated. So when you see violence, the violence looks more grotesque in a way. You're like, whoa, it's more shocking, more uh, jarring, you know, mm-hmm. which-, which may warrant the X. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what the I don't know what it would have been like to see it at the time. I imagine pretty. um <laughs> uh, I mean, it would be revelatory, I think, but of course we grew up with the, everything it influenced, the uh, Ren and Stimpy, who the creator have worked with him, um, yeah. and we had, uh, you know, a whole um, animation field that was, like, brought on by Ren and Stimpy, which was brought on by Bakshi, which is like, our, our whole lives have been informed by this in a way, what we yeah. grew up with, uh, so so when I watch this, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the stuff that I grew up with. 
and I like it. I, I mean, I like it. I think there's a lot of ugliness, but I love the metaphor of like the pinball and the uh, finally it makes his um, lack of pacing and plotting make sense because if you're being thrown around like a pinball and that's the nature of uh, fatalistic city life, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, overall, not not a great movie, but I really respect this one. I, I admire it so much. Uh, well, Cal, you said you like the ugliness, so I imagine then you have nothing but reverence for what's going on in Coonskin. <laughs> Did we put complicated in the uh, show title? <laughs> it, it definitely needs to be there. A disclaimer or something. <laughs> There's three white guys talking about Coonskin. Is this allowed on the internet? <laughs> I, I, I think it needs, it's a film that needs... Talking. No comment. No comment by me. I'm just gonna blank my head out. Okay, uh, 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 bro, uh, and I will go on mute. We'll let, we'll let David do this one. So, uh, oh, I, on the I other side, you, you guys are you guys are feeding into the controversy here by being like, "Oh, we can't, we can't talk." Oh, Cal can, can actually turned his camera. <laughs> no, I mean it's. I, I want to say that it's less controversial than the reputation. I would, would agree with that. To be. I, yeah. And to like le leading up to my, my first time seeing the film, I, I kind of went and be like, this is a film that I, sh I shouldn't be seeing. This <laughs> yeah. is like a, a, a really bad film. Like, Lock you know, the door. No, yeah. no one can know. And it's, and it's really not. <laughs> um, it's tackling a very uh, kind of explosive subject and, and dealing with those ideas of racist caricatures in the history of animation in an explicit and you know open way and to an even further degree that Bakshi had in his previous films pulling from the 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 little literal stories of Joel Chandler Harris and the Uncle Remus uh you know stories that uh were adapted first uh by Disney for Song of the South these are the very explicit things that Bakshi is pulling from and, and looking to satirize in his uh, minstrel characters that he is uh, portraying here. And yeah, go ahead. It's another film that's framed by live action opening and ending. Uh, it's and so the, the story is framed as the, uh, the, the the animated story is framed as a story is being told from one black character to another, again, as, as these kind of slave stories that the Chandler stories originated from, that were passed down from, um, about animal characters and the, the various ways in which they operated in the world to get by. And they, they were first derived from African legends um, that were brought over with the, with the slaves then to, as a means of communicating with one another and sharing stories and, and more so, even more so than that, uh, coding stories and communications between one another so that the, the the white owners and listeners would not be aware to what was really being told sometimes it was the, you know so the stories of Br'er Rabbit out you know outwitting the, the the fox and such um were meant as these kind of plans or these ideas or lessons for other uh, slaves to take away from in ways to outwit the masters and you know get away from things sometimes up to escaping yeah yeah absolutely so, so that's a bit of the history behind the inspiration that is the thing that actually is satirizing in coonskin well, well like like to bring it real quick to back to the song of the south thing i just want to double down on that because again 
Disney removed Song of the South. They Disney does not want you to remember that they did that, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, when Bakshi goes for this and he satirizes this, he's being honest, he's laying bare, and and he's reflecting things. And as as you say, when, when there's that sort of allegorical, you know, actual, you know, wisdom to the stories, reflecting it into the real world almost feels natural. This film almost feels natural. I think if this film were made by a black filmmaker, number one, it would be better. But number two, yeah. it, it w- people would not think nearly as hard about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it should be said that the relationship this film has with other uh, black filmmakers and the black community and such is complicated. Yeah, um, for some, sure. It was it was condemned at one point, you know, it, by it, initial release by uh, one faction, but also it was endorsed by the NAACP upon its release as a kind of uncomfortable, uh, but, you know, uh, needed satire. Um, you know, and, and there's uh, admitted fans of it from uh, the Spike Lee and the Wu Tang Clan uh, are are champions of the film. So again, it's 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 not just a a white guy coming in and overtaking the the spaces of black storytellers to speak for them, but very clearly, um, you know, that there is a dissonance still that comes through from someone who's entirely relate. Uh, I, I think it's really well summed up by the the opening of the film, which is, uh, I think, a really well done uh, instrumental song, uh, Scatman Crothers doing a, a song over the, the opening title credits. And uh, what, what's interesting about it to learn, I don't know if you guys realize, did, did, did you find the song effective? In terms yes. of setting the tone? I, yeah. I, yeah. Um, lyrically, it's, it's kind of, uh, speaking to this this experience of being kind of uh, boxed in as a as a black individual, uh, into these certain racial stereotypes that he is embodying, but also in a way kind of embracing in order to um, you know empower himself. But the odd thing about it is that it's a song whose lyrics were composed by Bakshi, so it's it's actually literally feeding these words into a, a a black man who is authenticating them through his performance of them, and and I think that's a, a really good summary of the film, the kind of microcosm of what is going on here. In that, um, the song is effective and it, it sets things up well, um, and it gets its message across. But it's also being done through a voice that is not entirely. Uh, in, in line with it. it you know it's still it's it's actually speaking for somebody else on these ideas that he doesn't necessarily have the authority in saying mm-hmm. it was interesting the controversy of it which was like you know like charged like by al sharpton the groups he was leading was like they hadn't even seen the film and they launched this charge against it but uh, i think authenticating is always the right word here which is that they're really filtering um he's filtering through their performances, uh, the reality of uh, uh, sympathies for, for these black characters and what they've been through. I think it's a very sympathetic movie. Overall. I, yeah, I think so too. Again, it doesn't come across as particularly racist, either in the uncomfortable caricatures it pulls from or its aims in depicting stories or it's even in its uh, relationship of critiquing these, um, you know, black escapist power fantasies of the contemporary black exploitation films that it's kind of in concert with there 
Um, I, I don't think it's off the mark in terms of what it's aiming to, to say or depict throughout. Uh, I, more of my issues, again, come down to structural or storytelling issues with the film. It's or, messy still. In yeah, other ways, still, yeah. Are, are you noticing a lot of them are like based <laughs> on tales? Like, yeah. it's the fact that all of these episodic stories he's trying to make a through line for, and it's not sticking the landing. Yeah, and mm -hmm. these stories originally are very didactic. They're just like moral stories for children. And I mean, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't quite transfer over in the same way. Once you take it from like an illustrated children's book onto an uh, animated screen, it's not quite... It needs more depth than the didactic stories of uh, children's fairy tales. So. Well, there's there's something to it here. I just think the execution of it is a mess because it's got yeah, a structure. It's got it's got a through line. You've got you know these three characters who are coming up from the south. They're moving to Harlem. The you got brother uh, brother rabbit, brother bear, and preacher fox are all coming up from the south. Uh, to take over the racket in Harlem. They're going to take it away from the mafia. They're going to work their way up the chain and, you know, just take over the, the, the crime syndicate there. And you've got that. You've got your beats working up to it um, and their ultimate success there, the losses they have along the way, you know, their struggles against the Italian mafia and such, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the story there of Black empowerment and the ways in which, you know, they, you know, uh, illegal businesses are one of the few avenues that they can pursue as a means of creating a better life for themselves, uh, particularly coming from the, the rural and, and impoverished South. There's a commentary there, there's a through line, there's a narrative, and it follows that through. It just doesn't hit all those points, although it doesn't feel like it. You don't get those narrative developments in as clean a way as you would like. So it's more so you have this vague idea of a narrative development as it kind of comes along, and these general narrative beats that it hits um, rather than this kind of cohesive whole. And again, all of this is packaged inside a wider narrative crux of a similar situation in, in the real world, um, whereas the story is being used as a lesson or as a, a story of comfort for two prison escapees who are basically on the verge of being caught and, you know, you know probably being shot. Good summary. Yeah, I mean, that covers pretty much everything. I think David said it pretty well. But uh, I would ask, what parts of the film did you like and what didn't you like? What I found interesting was particularly the first half of the film and specifically um, the at the start when they first go into Harlem and they first try to start their coup or whatever, they are confronted with... Um, basically a church front it's it's by a there's a figurehead called simple savior who claims to be the cousin of black jesus and that section is one of the most like overt sections but also it made me wonder what elements Bakshi is playing into i was trying to think if there was a like how much he was leaning into the religion angle um like regarding Christianity um, being a uh, tool to, or an opiate for the masses, we should say, or, you know, just- Specifically, a, specifically an opiate for the, yes. the black population, I should point out there. Yep, yep, absolutely. And uh, just, I, I, I was wondering what depths those would go in or like what other moments like hit you all for the film? Um, I find the characterization of Miss America to be one of the more, striking aspects of of the film 
Uh, it's again, it's a very obvious metaphor, but I think a very effective one uh, where you have the the black character kind of, you know, kiss, kissing up to her essentially and, and hoping to get into her good graces, you know, to come into the bosom of, of America, so to speak, there, only for her to like, you know, scream rape and uh, literally, you know, have this, you know, black man um, bruised and beaten and, you know, tortured. Uh, for her own amusement, so to speak, there. And so the subjugation of, of black uh, individuals by the literal embodiment of America. Uh, again, just, just striking metaphor. I think it works, you know, even in its overtness. It, it especially works at the end. At the end where they're about to get into, Bear's about to have a boxing match with Rabbit's stand-in and Miss America the, the tar is... Baby. Tar yes, baby. with the Again, tar baby and all very that. explicit reference to song of the south yeah and, and and like for me that miss america part where they insert her in that sort of says that even in these stories even in this moment right now um the allure of the american dream and the uh the the sort of cruelty within uh for black americans is still there even like even like when it's Otherwise, it's separated, but it finally, like, hit in and, like, was successfully threaded through, I would say. Hmm. Calvin, do you have any moments that really stood out for you? Um, the, yeah, the Scatman's, um, just the intro overall and the narrative voice of Scatman. And then, of course, getting Barry White and having those authentic characters, but also an aesthetic approach, which informs, like, who framed Roger Rabbit and, of course, bamboozled later on from Spike Lee, I think is really significant and makes it historically interesting. And uh, um, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to evaluate too much. I'm sure there are black voices on the film that you that you should read. Um, that, that absolutely. Way, I, I wish I had one immediately to point to. Uh, I feel like I, that that is a an oversight. In you don't have to listen here. to us, listener. I'm just. Uh, I'm we, just being very are, cautious. I, I I absolutely agree. No, 100. We are not. We are not the only voices you should listen to. In right. fact, there are probably way more legitimate voices regarding how the subject matter is dealt with. That could probably but, be. You know. But in terms of couching this and. Bakshi's overall filmography, uh, I would say is probably the extreme end in terms of his fixation with uh, Black culture and uh, Black livelihoods and their experiences. Uh, and I think this film does a very good job of, of realizing that in a very commentative way. Um, I think the his art style, his expression style here, where he's using real life backdrops as the environments for his animated characters, is also an expansion on what we've seen in Fritz the Cat and Pretty Traffic. So do we like that uh, overall? I think that's like a budgetary restriction thing, and it's like saving it's, some money, and it sometimes it, it looks it nice. Depends, de depends on the moment. I yeah. Would say. Okay. I think I, to, to me, it's both. I, I like it just in 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 concept and what he's yeah. doing here, and I understand that it's a budgetary restraint, but that's where I think actually really flourishes he turns restraints into strengths yeah. you know, I, I think yeah. lord of the rings like we could talk about the budgetary things there because that's that's a whole mess of it i like right. the budgetary constraints in lord of the rings for the most okay. part mm -hmm. uh, but yeah he's always playing with like old film and showing reels of that and then rotoscoping things and uh, playing with unusual techniques that uh, would i i think suit him as an underground artist i think it uh, makes it more exceptional and interesting I, I probably won't comment on the, the actual racial politics of the film. Right? Again, uh, we, you really deserve to read 
something from a black author on it and i'd highly recommend doing it uh, yeah. i i appreciate just the boldness of of wanting to tackle such a subject here of course um what again to, to what degree he is successful or not is is arguable i think largely successful i think the film generally you know walks that line and you know manages to confront the audience with its racial caricatures and its depictions i don't think at any point it seems to be offensive it is uncomfortable at times for certain but i i don't i think again its reputation perceives itself a bit too much as a kind of you know boogeyman of controversial cinema i don't think it's as you know uh you know un, untouchable as as it seems to think we may not get to decide but i think the the right people for history have decided for us that this is a okay yeah. representation well, it's acceptable uh, again at uh, every point in history it's been controversial you know in both directions i yeah. so i don't i don't think it's for sure commendable or for sure you know free of criticism by any means yeah um, we can move off the problematic stuff. Yeah, now now it's, now, it's smooth sailing ahead yeah, here. This is great, y'all. Now we gotta talk about wizards and Lord of the Rings. This is great. All right, we ready for some space Nazis? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay with that. This is probably my favorite of this bunch, certainly. And I, I think it's such a striking, uh, interesting way to use animation to tell a story about um uh, firstly, taking a fantasy film and then like uh, flinging it into the future. Already fascinated. I'm interested in the approach. So then uh, taking um, these like obviously evil space wizards, just the way they're designed, like these uh, um, Marvin the Martian looking motherfuckers, like with like slumped over stomachs on these uh, wild beasts. They look, they look awesome, but they're uh, uh, obviously evil. And then they're resurrecting the Nazi war machine, becoming the four forthright kind of they're uh taking all of this um technology and they're utilizing it to show how fascism uh, perpetuates itself through uh technological advancement it should be said in a very literal way like yes very literally showing nazi propaganda footage as a means of invigorating the yeah. evil army and and i want to throw in here real quick my my first complaint of the film and that's that the movie wants me to believe that two million years in the future, film footage of the Nazis has survived a a global holocaust, like like film, you know, like the okay. like notoriously destructible materials. David, I'm about to wreck you thematically. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I think I think that sort of thing. I would say, I, if you ask Bakshi. First of all, he'd say it's a fucking cartoon. Yeah, but, yeah, no, no. Obviously, obviously, this is no, a minor complaint. No, no, but for me personally, I think, and I don't think this movie's super deep or profound, but, no. and I, in, in fact, there's like moments, I, I, okay, I guess the way to say is, I think for him, film represents emotions. And I think when it says, because he's also very literal, like at the very end of the film, he says Hitler has died a second time. So like the film's not subtle, right? No. Um, I think for that, it's sort of trying to just say hate permeates and persists yeah, throughout no, time. I, I, I like 
its usage in the film. I like how the Nazi footage is integrated and repurposed. And You're just worried about the reality of them actually going and digging yeah. up the actual footage from the Nazis. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to me. From, I love it. A, I don't. I don't care if it makes sense. From, it's, it's, I, it's, I, I think it's it, fine. I know. Just had I a nuclear holocaust. It's I'm literally okay. nitpicking here. Give <laughs> yeah. me a second. No, no, like I mean, I guess the other thing is like this is where I was getting confused. It's because like. I don't want to say this. I think there's two minds of this. Maybe I like it. Maybe I don't. Is I guess the core conflict of the film is life versus death, um, nature versus technology. Mm -hmm. But in that sense, I'm so confused. It's like for the bad guys, the power of film is so terrifying. It's almost like a complete indictment of what film is. So then I'm watching the movie and I'm going, why doesn't why doesn't at the end of the movie there be a marriage of nature and technology? But then again, I also think on the opposite end of it, maybe this is back. She's sort of defending animation because like the definition of animation is making something still come to life, right? Mm. So so and then like when you go into the things, um, what it, I'm I was almost so worried I was going to forget names. Avatar, the sort of good guy of the the thing what in the second half of the film when there's a lot of like dark gross footage by the way i love the backgrounds here this is where we get into some amazing background work um he he sort of brings life to the backgrounds by actually adding animation to the backgrounds so maybe it works maybe it doesn't who knows <laughs> uh, that... i'll say the, the the propaganda footage the the propaganda footage is the strongest element to me in terms of any kind of theme that it's getting across oh really it's, you yeah. identified most with the nazi propaganda interesting i know i know historically i'm i'm very anti-nazi here right like it's never really come up as a thing of mine but uh the way in which it utilizes like again the the enduring nature of propaganda and how that can revitalize you know movements and re-energize things again something we see recurring in a very realistic way and so and so using this the you know this cultural juggernaut of what we associate you know pure evil propaganda to be it works i think it works i think it looks really good i like the way that Bakshi, you know uh colors over the uh uses rotoscoping here to bring those uh elements of the footage into the narrative in a, in a more literal sense um yeah, and so I think it's very effective in that messaging. I just get hung up on how you know film footage has survived millions of years. <laughs> all right, dude, dude, we're done. We're done with that one. All right, all right. Okay. Um, um, I, I would ahead. say that uh, for me, it's like the relationship between the magic and the creator, like the um, inventor or the animator, I would say, is uh, like a magician. And that's kind of the statement he's making about animation also that it becomes fascist after a certain period and the method of creation matters and um here the method of creation matters so much because lots of budgetary constraints but it's also Bakshi coming out um same time as star wars proving that he belongs in a market after um coonskin he was uh, they thought he wouldn't be allowed to make another movie um he had another movie lined up that was also kind of throwing back to like an old style of animation uh promptly canceled they thought there was no market for factories so wizards kind of like a reclaiming and i doubt we'd be like uh celebrating his career without it i think uh, wizards mm -hmm. is a uh, saving grace of a career and a sense of style i think it's uh so profoundly aesthetic like that the the way that it does um it's future sci-fi i love the enemy designs uh uh, lots of tits flopping out again. Um, 
that it, actually no, no, gets no, stuck no in there. No flopping. No uh, flopping. Well, out, flopping but lots around. of nipples. Yeah. There's lots yeah. of nipples for sure. Yeah. It's a very. It's still a very horny movie for. Uh, you know, a, a a more all audience <laughs> appeal. But I right. kind of I kind of like that still. I, I, I like I like that Bakshi isn't afraid to still be a total perv. And there's not a lot of penetration. Movie. This feels like it's really for an audience. Like the, there's not a lot of fucking going on with this. <laughs> I see, see, to, to me, to me, like I'm watching this half of my mind is like, God, I'm, I, I wasn't born in or lived in the seventies, but God, I missed the seventies. <laughs> but, but then the other part of me is like, this is where I go into the, who is this for? I watch this movie and I don't think a kid likes this movie. There's there. Yeah. Again, Nazi footage and fairies with tits and yeah, this you know, was his family movie. It's, yeah, <laughs> so this is the, the, about as family friendly as as Bakshi can get, and I respect that. You know, I, I respect that that you know, despite tampering it, it it's still Bakshi through and through. Is I wouldn't this want it any X rating or did uh... yeah, I think yeah. I think everything else was X. Um, <laughs> That would make sense. I think I don't, I don't know what Coonskin got, but the other two were X. I don't even think he got like actual distribution. Uh, it, says, okay. it says R on IMDb, so maybe that, it wasn't... Uh. there you go. Hey, I wanted to say I wanted to say I forgot to say this. I think it's important to mention. Bakshi himself considers Coonskin his best work. I don't agree with that. I don't either. Uh, he does. I, I can he see does say to to bring it back to Wizards. He says the one I hear no complaints about ever is Wizards. I see why I love wizards. So. Uh, I, I do have some complaints actually with wizards. Uh, yeah, we know about the, the projection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know you have complaints. Uh, should we wait for the ranking? No, I, I just want to want to get on a couple things about it. Again, it's it, it's more structural storytelling thing. I think I think the yeah, is, still Oh has. yes, for sure. This is that, this is probably the ugliest in terms of it. <laughs> Sorry. Go. It's just so much up front so so much backstory up front just this bleh, just whole like you know backstory just dumped for minutes on end bad storytelling out the gate it's a powerpoint presentation yeah yeah it's really rough uh, uh just kind of like a cardinal sin of storytelling right out the gate there uh i think the the conflict is ultimately very shallow again Good, good versus evil. Even if we can ascribe different kind of like thematic, you know, battles to each here, it's, it's ultimately a very binary conflict. And the way it resolves is confusing in terms of the message it wants to get across. Again, if it's a nature versus technology thing, uh, ultimately the answer is to betray nature in a kind of sneak attack. <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Well, no, but that's yeah. what I was saying earlier. Is like, what would make sense is like, oh, what if we made a good movie? Right. Like, to, to counteract the bad movie. Right. I know. I'm very Big confused propaganda. by that sentiment. I'm like, what What do you want me to think the message here <laughs> yeah. is? That we have to, like, to betray our values in order to overcome, like, the villains if we have to embrace their their tools of war? Yeah, yeah. What? Is that what you're saying, Pakshi? That's a very confusing sentiment. <laughs> um, the, Go ahead. Uh, I guess also to continue on the complaint train, uh, I think the characters are a little numerous for how kind of thinly sketched most of them are. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I don't think the, the one fairy character is, I don't even remember her name. Again, she's... she's oh, Eleanor, I believe. Yeah. yeah. I had Eleanor. this written down. I was worried I was going to forget these names. I wrote them down. I definitely, yeah, I remember like Avatar. He's humorous. He's he's fun. I, I like him. I like Avatar a lot. Avatar is probably my favorite one because like you expect after after the 10 minute PowerPoint, 
You're like, all right, so this guy's going to be epic. And then he's like a schlub. It, yeah. That's very charming, very cartoonish in a good way. And he's, um, he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. You guys figure out how to save the world. Yeah. I, I, in ways, I like that a lot. He's very cartoonish to counteract the sort of dark grimness. Um, but when you talk about the structure, yeah, as far as like a quest goes, what kind of fucking quest is this? It's like it's like so much time talking about the bad guys and then let's go on an adventure. They get caught like once, they get stranded once, and then they're there. And then they do the thing. And it's yeah. just him pulling out a gun and shooting him. <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah. I, uh, I, I... I found myself kind of checked out a lot watching the movie. Again, for, for all the, the, the visual majesty it has, uh, which to me, again, is a continuation, a build on everything he's been doing, this incorporation of further styles and different techniques and stuff. Uh, just it, it was less narratively or thematically engaging than anything he had done previously, I thought. Which is funny because it's going to probably end up being my favorite of the whole bunch. Yeah. Um, that, because that's... Uh, the whole cult appeal of it and like the stylization and like Rose says, I mean, there should be no complaints from an audience of Bakshi admirers for this because this is like pure style and a pure uh, animation technique and uh, using your budget with the conscience and also messaging is good. I mean, it is simple. It's very binary storytelling, but it's a, uh, it's fine. Uh, we we got plenty of complicated ones, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm and, okay uh, with a simple one. Yeah, one that I just about, makes about, sense because I mean, it's literal. I don't know. Again, it, it's it's still complicated, though, I think, by the ending there. I don't think that the it, it has a clear messaging, ultimately, about what is, you know, the, the again, it's a... I think so. I think it's saying that, like, technology, uh, I mean, like, uh, innovation and progress could lead to fascism, and if we don't keep it in check, then but, uh, but, we're going to be inundated we, with those ideas. But you say he solved it with the gun. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yes. yeah it's, it, it, I, I think the way that the, the film tries to approach the resolution there, uh, I don't know, for the sake of what, what I want to say. That doesn't mean like the film doesn't time. have a message because he used no. gun, obviously. No, that's, but it's, a, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, not a even key, thinking about the film. It's a key point of it that contradicts the message. Again, if, if, if yes. we're looking at the two sides as an interpretation, the technology is representative of one arm and the nature and the wizardry and the magic uh, is representative of the well, other. And I, the ultimate resolution comes down to using the technology against that, you know. It, it, what I got is, it. I think you're okay. fixated I, on like I, the nitpicky things I, and you're not looking I, at like the overall picture of the movie, I, actually. I, I'm going to give you a thematic through line because this movie, this conversation made me make sense of the movie just now, right? Okay. So so with all that life stuff, I'm going to keep focusing on um, Avatar being a sort of metaphor for cartoons, whereas uh, what is his name? It is Black Wolf. Black Wolf. Black Wolf. Yeah. Black Wolf uh, has a much more darker, sinister... I You could still say animation. You could still say uh you know stuff but he's more rooted in film he's more rooted in that sort of dark history right versus um avatar's uh imagination etc cetera, etc cetera. i think the gun could be seen as a cartoon thing does that make sense yeah sure. like no. he's like i'm gonna no. pull out a gun because it's funny well, you could accept cartoon uh, pornography, but you're not willing to accept the gun. So that's very interesting. <laughs> you're just but, trying to uh, throw stuff at me and hope it like sticks here. No, it's literally that the gun is literally in line with the metaphors that the film is presenting otherwise, and it's contradicting. With no, I, I understand where or, David's coming from. For the yeah. sake of what a punchline no, is, uh, I think, in, in Bro's point. But it's I, just, are you wrapped up 
explicitly in like the textual expression of the film or like the actual film itself and like what that's, it's doing like, i mean that's part of it that's part of what the theme is going there again the, the part it, of the as long as you only see theme and text like it i mean there's i'm there's i still i praise there i'm praising yeah. the the ter- in terms of the it's his best looking uh, film so far i mean it, it looks I, the backgrounds are fucking i was crazy. saying that oh yeah I, like I the, the fucking ways. metal album cover like backgrounds of the shit if you yeah, like dude, you step they're, into they're like good. the 70s album yeah. and like the progressive rock 70s soundtrack uh fucking on point um yeah it's good yeah i love the I think, sound again, the look I think is great visually i think it's really good but yeah but audio visually masterpiece our biggest disagreement so far in ranking things i think will be in on this and uh, the <laughs> I, next I, I movie, think so too you say which i don't favorite. care about that i think much. it's i think it's my my least so far of the, the oh the that, that's what's a uh, Let's but, find out what but, you would uh, think of uh, incredibly safe uh, Lord of the Rings. Just a flaccid uh, back she had is least interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> this one has the least of his voice. Yeah, I, I, I might agree with that. Uh, but but the nice thing about this film, I think for me personally, it just reminded me of why I like fantasy. And it reminded me why I like Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? Does yeah, that make sense? Absolutely. Now, this, yeah. is, this is a surprisingly good adaptation of two of the three books. For, for a 70s cartoon, this is, this is as good as it gets. You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't yeah. do better. I was, I was pleasantly enthralled by everything that was going on i was particularly taken with uh again i was involved in the story i i, I want to say this has the least pacing problems but i know that's not it still has true. plenty it's, yeah it's not yeah. written by bakshi right oh right? That, that might help yeah yeah i didn't know that well it's also uh i guess just to, to get this out of the way early uh it's just incomplete uh yeah the, yeah it, the, the second half just becomes uh, a, a little bit of a mess and then they end after the battle it, it, of helms deep is this the like it's done this, no. it, i think this was the most anticlimactic ending to a film i've ever seen <laughs> the, the literal sentiment was and then they defeated evil forever until the next time <laughs> because they were really hoping they would get the a nothing happened <laughs> yeah it's yeah the helm's deep happens frodo and and sam and Gollum are going up the mountain they're going to drop the ring in but it that that doesn't happen they, at the very least, they could have just animated like like I, I, if if they had known that they weren't going to get a sequel, because that's the big hiccup here is that they thought they they were really banking on getting to make that second film. They should have, yeah. yeah they like, I would have seriously should have. If it was me, I would have just had a scene of like when in Helm's Deep was going on. You just you know while everyone's distracted, Sam and, and Frodo sneak it up the mountain and drop the ring in, and then and then boom, credits. But Obviously, they couldn't have predicted that it was not going to get greenlit or now that they're going to get screwed over. But yeah, that's the biggest issue I would say with the film is that it just it, it just completely just like all the air flies out at the end. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about this movie, I think it permeates through all of it, is basically this film looks amateur in the best way possible mm-hmm. does that make sense and and it speaks to animation whereas like 
with the rotoscoping, they basically traced over live action footage and it made the it made the animation look great, made it look real and human. And it also let them make the props and the 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 actual like swords and stuff not look cheap. They look like a cartoon. So then with that in the you know out of the way, you're able to do a lot. And it like I like I like the cheapness of the orcs. The orcs look like fantastic for me they're wearing like little pig masks that's awesome mm -hmm. that and then like... it, it feels like kids playing dress up and especially with the start when they like the the five the five men and the the, the rings for the dwarves like all of that is done in a kabuki shadow style and that that also feels like kids playing with a shadow play and it's all just kid stuff but then there's a there is a budget there's enough of a budget to where you're like okay this is still real this is still a real movie and it feels so good i i love the rotoscoping animation i love how alive it makes the action and movement feel even when the the action is a little more you know like, like the, they're a little softer on it than in some of the actual like fighting you know but mm -hmm. As far as the actual movements and the performances that they're able to get out of the real life actors, uh, I think it, it it's really wonderful for transitioning over to to animation here, and it makes the the film and the world come to life in a way that traditional animation just doesn't. So again, it it really follows through and fulfills Bakshi's idea of wanting to make animation as close to real life as he can, and and who'd have thought it would take the most famous fantasy, you know, story ever to do that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, I love how it looks. I love the, you know, the way they, they bring the characters' lives in, in this way. It, it is inconsistent. There are definitely times where you can see they kind of just barely trace over or they use other techniques uh, to semi-animate the, the live-action footage. Um, I I'm going to be honest, y'all. I liked the Balrog. I thought the Balrog oh, was fucking sick. Oh, I thought it was awesome. The, Bal like, the Balrog is maybe the most controversial subject about the film. You know what's weird? The weirdest part for me, you want to know the most upsetting part about the Balrog, is at the very end when Gandalf the White comes out, and then they show fucking sick images of like that's the battle. Great. So that's great. No, it is great, but then like the original footage is like a guy in a costume. It's, if it's, it's a, a guy in a costume, costume, keep it throughout the film. Keep it. Yeah, I, I I kind of wish they just obscured the Balrog. They made it again, like and, and just kept those pictures of Gandalf retelling it because I like that interpretation better than guy in a clunky suit with bat wings and a whip, and and he and he's just again like for for how effective the real and you know the tracing over animation is for replicating real action real human movement when you have to create inhuman movement uh it just doesn't work it's very awkward and and odd and it looks it looks really bad i think that's fair but this it's is... also uh, uh as we kind of learned i think from if, if i know you saw it as well bro uh dan olson's video on the history of the lord of the rings uh the, yep the depiction of the Balrog from Tolkien's description in general is something also of much debate. Difficult. Yeah. Does he have wings? Does he have the something the, that looks like wings? wings? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's not really sure. <laughs> I, I like it. I think it 
mostly flatlines the whole story and like the epic nature of Lord of the Rings and I think it crushes it into one movie in between two books that really need like a overarching narrative that expands and says something really big about the characters. Like even my favorite Lord of the Rings moment, Helm's Deep, it's uh it's, it's, it's it becomes here. like a, a idea of like what violence enacted by each other means and it's it's like a reinterpretation a weird place to end the story so i guess again it's about pacing and plotting i think it's uh mostly mixed i'll say mixed because it has successes and failures and i think it provides a good structure for peter jackson's uh and again two towers my favorite of peter jackson so i was happy yeah this is highly influential on jackson yeah, to, I can see a lot there. Cer- certain scenes are cribbed, you know, very, very specifically visually. There's the the one scene with the uh, the ring wraiths, uh, like like looking for them, and, and they're hiding under the tree branch, and that one's taken almost, you know, one for one. The, the, there's here. a one for one at the very beginning with the Shire and the proud feet. Yeah, <laughs> that, I think that's like the explicit back she nod is proud feet. I, yeah, I I want to say as well. I think the ring wraiths are probably my favorite thing in the whole film. The way they're done, the again, the the different approach to animation, the different style here, the more real world analog uh, look of them, the the complete like black outfit with the green, this this kind of like sickly green accents, and the red eyes that you see as well in the orcs later, is just so like terrifying. And the way they have these like inhuman movements, the way they have these you know their arms like curled up and stuff, the way they move, it's just horrifying it's totally nightmarish in a way that again like i think only this this type of animation could really achieve well sometimes there is like too much rotoscoping sometimes there's none at all it's a very inconsistent yeah uh, scattered movie i mean tonally it doesn't quite fit the books but uh what i know of the books oh i i think it's a have you read the books david uh (laughs) how much is a little I don't remember the books. I don't. I don't remember what it connected to in my previous sentiment. But no, let's just say I haven't read the books. I've kind yeah, of I, read the books. I, I have, have read the books. There we go. Back in yeah. high school, long time ago. Um, I I liked fantasy a lot as a kid. I I think when I got into my college years, I started getting more into sci-fi because I think sci-fi was way more explicit in uh, social commentary. But for like fantasy, Tolkien was like. And probably still is the tippy top. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I tried to get into it several times. Uh, lots of uh, poetry and uh, uh, extra um, superfluous stuff that I'm not interested in. But uh, oh, oh, you see, I, I, I kind of like that. Like in the books or whatever, there'll be way more of a focus on like poems or songs. I, I from, mean, like the, And th- that helps build the world. I think yeah. the books are really good at that. Yeah. They're really good at it. And I, I liked what I've read. I just never, I've owned three different versions of the whole set. Um, <laughs> I had the one like that you would get before the movie, which, you know, was a lot different. Like uh, the illustrations and stuff were kind of more clever and uh, more inventive and not so locked into like Peter Jackson's imagery. And uh, currently yeah. I have my second set that seemed to be based on those movies and the iconography that he created. Um, yeah, I mean, Go ahead. I was going to say, that's one thing that's really nice about Bakshi's film is that it feels like Lord of the Rings still, while not being, you know, a product of the the definitive version interpreted by Peter Jackson now. Uh, There's some things that obviously has to sacrifice for cramming two books into one reasonably length 
length movie. But uh, as far as for like the story beats and all the major players and everything for the first two books, uh, it's it's there. It's it's there, and you know it's easy enough to follow along. I think it's more helpful if you if you know all the stuff that's kind of not there, the the kind of pieces in between that you can kind of stitch together. But uh, I I didn't feel like I was missing anything, especially when I was watching it. There was something like uh, in the fifties, Lord of the Rings um, wasn't quite popular yet. Like it was just being published, and then by sixties, kind of like a counterculture appreciation of it started. Uh, United what, Artists what, tried to like sell a film on it uh, what, what for happened, quite a few years. What happened was uh, c- copyright law. Copyright law yeah. is is what allowed it to become popular here in the in the United States. It's again the, the great irony of you know taking away revenue from creators. Well, not um, quite. Like it was it was already growing with the counterculture, and then copyright law right, kind but of then, then once allowed any, them to sell it. Yeah, once any distributor is allowed to print off a version and sell it for a whole profits for themselves, then that shit just gets, you know, massively produced and sent out into the world. And it's it's just such a weird situation where it was like the, the distributor who had the rights at the time didn't fulfill enough of what the orders in their contract said. So it went into public domain because of that. Yeah, yeah it's just bizarre. It was it was later corrected in, in 1994. Yeah. Yeah, but what a gap. Yeah, but bizarre, one of those bizarre legal things where something's just like, oh, I guess anyone can do it now because (laughs) you didn't print enough. It gained like such a reputation for becoming like an unfilmable book with so many missed projects as it uh, continued to gain popularity. The the Beatles were supposed to do the Lord of the Rings at one point. (laughs) Right, like everyone should have uh, had their take on Lord of the Rings, but uh, uh, it took the you know, um, eventually the great thing about like copyright is eventually a company pushes another company to like go in and actually do the job uh, for commercial reasons. Um, capitalism's bad, but it does create product sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, like, I, I think what what's so, I think the ultimate thing for this film for me is like, it just showcases Bakshi's ambition squarely in like a different focused area. And you can see so many of his strengths without necessarily being hindered by there are some weaknesses but they're mostly production based you know what i mean so then it's like you Mm -hmm. can and and for me i can take almost all of bakshi's production issues and just like forgive them so that's why i like this film a lot (laughs) i mean it's so charming it's uh it's such a charming and uh i think it gets like the uh pastoral feeling of like the lord of the rings and um just kind of like the uh otherworldly middle earth and uh it's well animated but i think the main complaint becomes in the field of animation you could suddenly do anything like you could suddenly create anything and and you use rotoscoping which is just you know relying on more practical uh tools and methods to film over and trace uh when you could really be illustrating like gigantic dragons and doing really wild shit but uh if that were what the story demanded i think you know if if because there are some there's like what tree beards in this and he's a fully animated character but as mm-hmm. far as for what the lord of the rings as a story demands you you don't necessarily need not you know human analog characters there that's mostly what it is and it's about that the journey more so than the fantasy uh elements so to speak and that's why i think the rotoscoping works so well again it, it really grounds the uh the movement of the characters in, into a kind of tangible reality while the backgrounds and the environments are allowed to be 
entirely unreal. There, there are some instances where, you know, the background styles, they just kind of transform into these avant-garde, you know, colorscapes. They're not even, you know, like actual uh, displays or, or areas or world, you know, environments even. They're, they're these dreamscapes that, you know, some of the, the events take place in, you know, particularly in like the, the encounters with the, the Nazgul and such. Um, they're rendered against these these really trippy kind of a a acid backgrounds, uh, which are really effective, I think, in creating a tone and a sense of unease for for those scenarios and such. How do you how do you all feel about the hobbits themselves? I I think they're well done. Um, they uh, obviously the the feet are <laughs> kind of. Uh, they kind of stand out versus the other proportions, uh, you know, otherwise human proportions of the characters. But it, it all looks uh, well integrated to me. It doesn't, you know, look like you, you threw a pair of giant feet onto humans necessarily. And uh, I think they fit in with amongst the cast. Uh, and I think the performances are very good uh, for the characters, uh, particularly for the hobbits. I... I've got like mixed feelings on it. Like part of me really likes the rotoscoping for the body shape, but then again, the hobbits as faces are are much more focused on the cartoony and the. I, I guess it's a it's a nice way to like showcase the blend between them. Um, I didn't like Sam in this one. I I, I found Sam very off putting. Um, I, I, I didn't mind Marion. Yeah. yeah, I didn't mind Marion Pippin, but then again, like. This movie being by itself makes Mary and Pippin feel very weird. Yeah, they're they they kind of have all the character cut out of them because so much of it is kind of cramped together. Uh, they don't have a whole lot to do or even to say really. They're they're kind of here, and then they have that encounter with Treebeard, like I mentioned, and then they're just gone. They're gone from the story. They never uh, come up again. Uh, I I like how derpy Sam looks. I'm fine with it. Derpy is a good word for this movie. I think derpy would be like the definitive <laughs> like it. box art. Like, put it on the box. It's terrible, terrible. I, I don't know about all of that, but definitely, it, I, definitely applies to to a number of things. I, I think the character design I like least is probably um, Gollum. Oh yeah, it feels uninspired. There's definitely yeah. moments where I feel like Peter Jackson improved. I, Gollum would be one with Andy Serkis's performance just like it's so like, good as a performance yeah. oh yeah um there's one thing i did like for character design and that was the elves i kind of liked how alien the elves yeah, they're kind of cool I, 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 I guess going back to it, that's one of the other one it's elrond is very weird to me because he's just a dude in a white t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> like there's no, there's nothing else to him like he doesn't even fit in in line with the other elves in terms of a consistency of you know how they're portrayed with the the blonde hair and and such which i guess is also true in the case of like hugo weaving in jackson's films but I, again like even from a costume point it's just a guy in in a white shirt and a red cape sitting at the head of a table i'm like you don't I, look like the the head elf to me at all hugo weaving brought gravitas you yeah know? yeah definitely um i i think the the strongest player here for me is john hurt as uh Aragorn. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. What a performance. He is he is giving it his all and he is really conveying the emotion of that character at any given time. And I, and I think on the flip side of that, I'm I'm kind of unenthusiastic about Gandalf's performance. I'm not sure who the actor is who plays him, but 
it's it's all right it's not an incorrect performance but it's a very like one note old old wizardy kind of you know s stereotype for for every line reading you know yeah. uh, uh i never get the sense that he has any dynamic range of his performance but it, it's not bad it's just not uh, it's uh, uninspired aragorn aragorn feels like especially because of the performance added onto it and aragorn is also one of the more like full-on realistic humans in the film whereas like gandalf is like pretty much a cartoon he's like the closest thing to a cartoon for a normal uh proportioned man um i i think like the performances are night and day if you compare the two yeah yeah um, Bor boromir was weird because like I, I forget that he just looks like a normal Viking guy in this. Yeah, but I kind of like it. Again, I, 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 there's yeah. a simplicity to his design. And same thing with like Aragorn. Aragorn's designs, you know, it's just like a simple tunic with a big belt buckle or whatever. There's nothing complex about their, you know, uh, costuming choices, but I like the simplicity of them. I, I like how it, you know, kind of conveys the, the characters. Um, you know, again, there's, there's a cheapness to the the production that obviously was inherent to the live action footage shot that translates over to the rotoscope footage that adds mm. to its charm you know i, I, think I don't so think it's a it's a detriment necessarily but you can definitely see the cost cutting measures um you know at any point they're put in but again like as as Bakshi was wanting to do he turns those into stylistic choices that work in his favor more often than not i agree do, do we have any final thoughts then on Lord of the Rings? Any uh, sure. concluding things here that we didn't cover? It's a case where I feel like the film's abridged um, very much, obviously, but uh, also far too long. I think for a kid to watch this sounds like unimaginable. I can't imagine like a kid sitting down and watching all, what, two hours of this movie on their own. It would just be a big ask. And I can't imagine an adult watching this and being like, yeah, that's my definitive experience of lord of the rings i don't know like it's, who is it for now like i don't know i think it's I good think it's for someone who wants another interpretation of lord of the rings when i watched i was really enraptured by it i really loved it uh i was definitely let down by the end <laughs> kind of inevitably yeah. uh and it definitely it, it does drag in that second half but i think there are other films back to with worse pacing problems and uh, it's it just uh, a lot of it stems from it being an incomplete story um, i agree yeah it, it it should have ended where the first one ends with you know in, in jack's case with with the death of boromir and that kind of concluding note that does feel like a <laughs> sense of finality and then the film picks up again it's like an, an, the next chapter and it, it kind of slogs through two towers uh through helm's deep a bit there even though it's, it's all full of good stuff it you know it just it doesn't it's not great for a full feature i you know in terms of scripting out i see why they went that far but and and again it makes sense for a climactic set piece to have helm's deep as your you know final moment but uh, it's just a little too much to cram into a single film though the fact that he did it is kind of admirable in and of itself and we're Dealing with a little irony as, I mean, Star Wars has just been released recently, the year before or soon um, before then. Uh, and United Artists is like, well, maybe there's no market for sequelized films, like films to come out one after another. So they didn't promise anything at the end. And I don't know if anyone knew to expect it. I mean, 
Lord of the Rings is hugely more popular now than it were then, even though it were a countercultural counter force at that moment. Um, uh, I don't know. It feels like a film without an audience to me, but I'm glad you've liked it so much, and I, I do enjoy it. I, mean, I, I think that's a repeating pattern in most of these films. Is like, it's true. I think yeah. the I think the audience is Bakshi fans. <laughs> I just don't think that's a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know who <laughs> other than Bakshi people who are like going through his works as we are. I don't know why you would come across it or why you would watch it. I think especially. I think people who are interested in Lord of the Rings, you know, liked it uh, and and yeah. have liked it over the years. But it's always been more of a cult film for sure. Uh, uh, as all of these are mm-hmm. at, at best, I think. There, I don't know if a mainstream Bakshi film is, is something that exists. If we had gotten the rest, I think there would be a very clear argument for why uh, we should all watch it. And uh, I, I do enjoy it. Um, I, I feel like I have to take the devil's advocate on it, but uh, I, I quite like a lot of it, actually. Um, it, it's because so. it's Cal wants to rank Wizards as number one. That's well, why. Um, well, well, I, I don't we'll need see. it to be there. We'll get to that. Um, should we rank these... Uh, monsters these yeah. actually monsters <laughs> yeah, they, they are monsters indeed <laughs> all right uh, so fritz the cat number one bottom. Or, or bottom okay bottom. Both, yeah uh number one and bottom all right for now all right perfect perfect place to start as should we talk about why uh why we're putting it in last place in first place um, uh oh because uh we we've got to start with a film and this is the first and uh we don't have anything else to compare it against yet so uh naturally it, it would be the the schrodinger's fritz the cat in both the bottom <laughs> and top and it lends it's us the our, best uh, and it's the worst so far yeah um i think it it's a good uh reason why we're doing a lot of this i think without fritz the cat it would be harder to gain entry into why I do a filmography on that yeah I, I think it's a it's a vital film for sure even if you don't especially like it you know, at the very least you do recognize its its merits and how it kicks off a lot of what comes thereafter and the novelty of it still David's yeah, really fascinated in what comes thereafter if you know what I mean <laughs> uh, should, I guess we have to, to rank the um, whether or not we like animal uh, pornography again <laughs> no comment i'm out of this one okay <laughs> so yeah should we uh i guess we have to contrast it with the next one to really place it anywhere so yep uh heavy traffic that goes above fritz the cat i think that's that's pretty uh unanimous uh it, it does everything fritz the cat does but more coherently more personally and more artistically uh it's it's still a bit of a mess it's still got problems um but they all do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but generally, it's it's superior in the way it builds off of things. There's, I I, I think there's more commercial appeal in Fritz the Cat, but by no means does its popularity make it better. Uh, if anything, I think it suffers a bit more. I, I have a question about ranking these moving forward because now we're going to get more complicated. Are we ranking on overall quality or like necessarily what is most distinctive about the director or like what are our goals here other than the best movie? I I think as it has always been, it comes down to what we personally feel like. Like we're, we're th- this is a bartering uh, game here. Yeah. We're okay. To, to push Not our, definitive. Our, so our, I have yeah, two personal. fish. I'm willing to trade it for one loaf. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's generally how these go, in that we have ones we we kind of trade our way up. Okay. And so so I know what Calvin's working on, and I'm already 
strategizing in my head how I'm going to subvert him or help him so that I can get something higher up. That's oh, yeah, it's usually how it goes. It's, oh. it's, it's transformed from something that was meant to be more objective into a game. Let me, ask, a... <laughs> let me ask you, what do you think is my number one? It was also meant to be fun, but uh, it hasn't been fun for the last few weeks, and we're just uh, suffering here. Uh, after <laughs> ranking the Foo Fighters albums, we've been at each other's throats and in private messages. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. Well, I'm not part of it. There, there are some 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 mean words exchanged, some uh, foul language that uh, yeah. uh, we can't take back. Um, oh, can't take back she either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to, to answer you, bro, your your favorite, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna guess it's Lord of the Rings based on this conversation we just had because I can't remember anything. Well, yesterday. yeah, I was gonna say we just <laughs> we, we just spent twenty minutes talking about that and only that, so I, I suppose that's the only impression we got right now. Mm-hmm. But okay, sure, we'll we'll see what happens. Continue. All right. Well, I guess after heavy traffic, then is Coonskin the the most controversial? questionable Wait, so we film? we did put heavy traffic yeah, in first yeah. uh, because i think it is like a good identifier of bakshi as like an overall wider uh you know filmography like yes. this is a representation of the it's, guy we're building toward 100 percent. Right? yes more more artistically sound the style is improved upon and there is less problematic stuff than in fritz the cat but that, it's still there that should help us place coonskin i think Really well. I, yeah, I, I th- personally, I would put Coonskin in between. I okay. think it is better than Fritz the Cat. I think it is worse than Heavy Traffic. I, I agree opinion. on both counts. Yeah. I, I feel similarly about them, about Coonskin to, that I do to Heavy Traffic. Uh, but I, I tend to give Coonskin a personal edge because of the the, the daringness of his oh, commentary, uh, of how, how it cuts through uh, more swiftly. Um, but I, I certainly uh, am, am kind of of the same mind about them. I think they, in terms of execution, they come out about the same. I just I have a greater admiration for what Bakshi is, you know, seeking to achieve in Coonskin. Isn't it a cooler list if we put Coonskin up, even though I've just argued for uh, below heavy traffic? Does <laughs> that think, make it a more evolved list? Socially? I think most I assessments think so. of Bakshi's filmography would consider Coonskin higher. I think heavy traffic mm. will gets largely left on the sidelines. It's, uh, I don't want to say the one I've heard the least about because there's some next week that I've heard nothing about, but. <laughs> Wait till but, he finds uh, out about Cool World. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why did I sign up for this? <laughs> uh, yeah. I th- I th- that's the one I think you two are aware of and I'm totally ignorant of. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I, 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 I'm it's, happy to, I mean, look at the influence of uh, Coonskin, especially versus, um, I, I mean, it's hard to say Bakshi's overall influence isn't great, but I feel like that's in both films. I think Coonskin especially has a, a very diverse influence and does a lot for um, a subset of filmmakers that we often don't cover in animation. So uh, if, if y'all pro- are daring enough like Bakshi to put it above heavy traffic, I won't argue with y'all. I think it'll be our first overall. Uh, we'll just... Okay, oh, first okay. overall right now. <laughs> yeah, first overall right now. Uh, first to three, Coonskin wins it. Okay, so number four then is Wizards. The the actual most controversial film. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so uncontroversial to me. Um, I guess I'd, uh, I'd wonder where Brogan is now that we've uh, entered this 
should I say where I am first? Because I think I have the strongest case for it, where I think the aesthetic uh, kind of matches the theme. And we're talking about like a push toward fascism being through like projection and pick it up like an old projector. Here's what technology advances toward. It always, technology and um, innovation always lead toward a certain kind of fascism, either in creation or in militarization against the people. So uh, I think this very low scale project with like a, really gritty, obviously very 70s aesthetic, uh, just speaks to me. I think spiritually, it speaks to me. Uh, it speaks to the kid who like sat up just like looking at like old 70s album covers and like wanting to live in those worlds who played like brutal legends and that shit. And I was just like, I want to, I want to play in that world. Like I want that sandbox to be in the heavy metal movie. Um, I think, I think it gives that for me with the, a little weirdness, a little, um, I think it's a, a good road to Lord of the Rings too. It has elements in there about the environmentalism that uh, Tolkien handles so much better. But um, I think I think it is starting to play with those messages that Tolkien introduced about the environmental um, advantage and how magic can become a protector of that sanctuary in the Earth um, or in the Middle Earth in that case. But uh, I just think it's a, a such a good pairing with the next film. Um, I know I've probably argued against the next one too strongly because I. I'm pretty fond of this one. Um, I'd say uh, I looked through the list of animations for the 70s. This might be one of my favorites of the whole decade. Uh, I, I think that's probably my strongest push, but I, I am lower on some others that are beloved, like Belladonna of Sadness. And, you know, there's there's a few pretty artistic ones that I'm kind of mixed on, but this one I, I feel a connection to. I love it. Okay. So So you're putting Wizards at one. I would. I don't know if that's the group conscious, though. So I'm uh, I'm suggesting it's above uh, Coonskin for now. The secret one is I don't have a number one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I feel about these. I, I said that la- uh, earlier uh, in the podcast. I have. I don't know how I feel about these. You could ask me, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I get it. I mm-hmm. could. I could see any of honestly anything but Fritz the Cat. I could see it number one. Seriously, I could." Uh, in different ways. Part of me wanted to put heavy traffic because of less the, less baggage and then more representative of Bakshi. And then for me personally, I thought it blended all the things together. But then on the other hand, Coonskin was very daring and bold and captures that ambition. For Wizards, my issue with Wizards is not the look of the movie. I think the look of the movie is awesome. I think the issue with Wizards is it is at its worst with the plot and it's at yeah. its worst with like that that theming like mm-hmm. you, you gave a good speech for the theming but we just when we covered it I I'm more on David's side where it's that like That would be fair. Uh I, I I feel like it's conflicted and I mean like I think the best argument to be made is that like world that feeling but you know I go ahead I was gonna say, yeah, I, I think I, I'm not at all contesting it as a as a visual work. Again, it's only continually building on everything that Bakshi's doing here. And while I think it has a, a nugget of an idea that it's uh, extrapolating there, particularly with its wielding of you know Nazi propaganda as as a kind of recurring tool, I think its its messaging and its storytelling is very muddled. It is it is both very simplistic in its themes and overly convoluted in its narrative, particularly up front, and then how it kind of 
fails to flesh out its larger cast of characters. Uh, there's there's a whole character who is important to like the main trio or, or quad, you know, of, care, uh, of uh, good guys who we didn't even mention, and I don't know his name. He was that's like Weehog, boy. right? The, we, the Weehog, tribal guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, he's he's so perfunctory though that we didn't even mention him. <laughs> so I think it's, um, yeah, yeah. So as far as a Bakshi trying to tell a conventional story. It's it it doesn't work. He he doesn't do a very good job. Of well, I wouldn't it, say it work. doesn't work. Obviously, it's a very oh. successful beloved film in this catalog. Possibly <laughs> no, the no, most no. beloved of this catalog. <laughs> no, but I know what David is saying. It's yeah. like this is his most commercial project, yeah. and for that, I would love. First of all, disclaimer: I would love if all kids' movies, all animations, were like Wizards. That'd be awesome. I'd be like rock and roll. But that being said. This is not a good kids movie. This is not. This, I wouldn't say this is a good movie in that way or in that realm of what he was trying to do. I think mm. in that sense, it's a failure. I think it's audiovisually interesting in a way that that's kind of all I care about in animation. Like I, I might put plot aside and uh, consider um, the form and technique above the actual uh, storytelling because when I compare it to most of the animations I watch, they have total bullshit stories. Like they're mostly trope and cliche, right? Like they're not actually substantial. They don't actually matter. Um, so I'd say audiovisual is mostly my metric on animated film. Um, I don't actually We're not care comparing about bullshit nonsense. We're comparing it to the other four backsheet films. Which I think now. it's better than, yeah. Here. I think it's audiovisually better than all of those films. I think here, the here. Uh, progressive rock soundtrack in the background is much better than anything before it, for one. Here's Here's what I'll say versus the other ones. I would concede this above heavy traffic because I think that film also is not entirely clear in its theme and its in its messaging. It's, it, it gets across a sense of this, this personal conflict and this coming together, but I don't think it is entirely coherent in its messaging there. It will be bad uh, to put it there, I think. Well, the next week I'm going to argue everything below this, obviously. So this will define where everything on our list can well, well, where I will want it to go. It's all um, downhill from this from yeah. this podcast is what we're trying to say. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying that nothing next week. Uh, hold on, will are I you telling me this. that Cool World isn't some you know masterpiece that he went out on? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I, I, all right. Here's my pitch. The, you do love the animal pornography, so I think you might be <laughs> there. Might be something for it, you in there. All right, here's my pitch. <laughs> Number one, coonskin. Number two. Wizards. Number three, Lord of the Rings. Number four, Heavy Traffic. Number five, Fritz. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on now, hold on. You're you're proposing we put Lord of the Rings at three? I'd I like switch Lord it. I do. I do. Coonskin, Lord of the Ring, and Wizards. I, hey, three. hey! For the record, I was throwing a bone to Cal, and well, Cal rejected the bone. So yeah, I will gladly put Lord. I think Lord of the Rings is better than Wizards. No, 100%. I need to make a group concession because David, I think, likes Lord of the Rings more than I like Wizards. Possible? Well, no, because it's my favorite of the '70s. So I don't think that could be possible. I mean, it, it's probably my favorite animated of the, of the '70s of all time. Too. Yeah, like. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of another one that, that I, I like more than it, but I, I was really impressed with Lord of the Rings. Again, the the, um, the different types of animation being used here, the rotoscoping I thought was incredibly effective. I thought the storytelling was also impressive for how it fits the two books into 
uh, a single narrative, even if it, you know, leaves off on an unsatisfying note. And I was really taken in with the, the with the storytelling still. Uh, it's it's less Bakshi than the other Bakshi films because it is an interpretation of Tolkien. Uh, and, it, and it has less of the flares, but visually, I still think it's entirely within his mold. And, you know, it it, it solves, you know, the storytelling issues and the thematic issues, I think, that we see in Wizards because his hands are entirely out of the writing process of it there. And you just let, you know, far more capable people take the helm. I think it's just uh, far too long and far too condensed, uh, which is like a very weird obscure combo to to actually reach (laughs) where you where you don't have enough but what you have is far too much um and i I think we all like this movie though which i think is a little bit different than wizards which i i really love and i think there's a more logical arguments against that than uh against lord of the rings which is on the whole enjoyable it's just not enough and it's too much for me right well let me ask you this comment do you like coonskin more than lord of the rings do you think it's a a greater success i think it's yeah i think it's probably the most interesting movie we covered today Mm -hmm. and yesterday Um, (laughs) and and on friday when this comes out if you really want to like break down the fourth wall of how this all works (laughs) yes (laughs) and next week (laughs) what about you bro uh do, do you feel coonskin is a better film than lord of the rings this is what this is why I was trying to ask you for because like I'm a person that's like if we rank things we're ranking them on specific values and so and in one moment my values may differ from the next moment as of right now I feel very comfortable saying Coonskin's number one because it's more of a personal statement by Bakshi and it matches the ambition of Lord of the Rings in a different way because it's the social commentary angle and you know for me. I think Coonskin is better than Lord of the Rings, but I'm okay with going, I'm going with one Coonskin to Lord of the Rings. That, that I think I'd be happy with that. I think it's even more bolder. It's a bigger risk, right? It's a, sure. It's an actual story told like from another culture that you've kind of fit in. But um, I, I never want to say that that's like the right portrayal or it's not. Again, I, I really hope people do go read black writers on the film and, uh, find out more <laughs> from other sources than us, but uh, I really do admire Goonskin and think it is a, a very sympathetic, interesting film. I, I think it's really successful in terms of, I, I, I look at it as, you know, again, uh, as with the other cases of Bakshi using racial caricatures, you know, in his films, and that it's a mirror for the audience, and it's a confrontation of saying, you know, this is how we depict these people in, in movies. This is how we treat our, our minorities, our our black you know uh population in films and advertising in stories and in every other way and you know it looks uncomfortable to you but it's only because i'm showing it to you without it all all the nasty parts you know whitewashed away and it is and i think it's effective in its boldness for doing that and so yeah i i definitely think it there's uh in in concept a lot more to admire in it than what lord of the rings is which is you know, again, just it's a, it's a commercial film. It's an interpretation of a beloved fantasy text, but it's it's not making any cultural waves per se. Uh, and and Kuzkin, I think, for for all that it, it didn't achieve, uh, certainly made a cultural splash to a point where it's perceived as this you know 
bad film, you know, this, this, this you know, uh, upsetting film that you shouldn't watch or, or, or whatever. And you really should. It's, it, I think it's very important to see and important to confront with. And I'm fine putting it above Lord of the Rings, even if Lord of the Rings impressed me more on a personal level. And, uh, uh, you know, I found more to, to revisit and enjoy. And artistically, I was really taken with. Um, and all in all, all of these films, I would say, are not too far apart from each other for me. There's something to admire about every single one of them. And I think generally they get progressively better in in certain factors. And there are some speed bumps along the way. But yeah, like when, when Cal's, you know, gives his big... Uh, confession for you know of, of admiration and love for everything about wizards i believe it wholeheartedly because i see it it's obviously there uh and it just the the things that affect us are a little differently about what are you know more successful elements of his films than others i just see those two that uh i see why the these others work for you so i'm willing to make concessions i just need a wizards in three because of next week and I can't possibly work with the list if, if Wizards is second to last. I, 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 can under, I can understand Wizards being better than Heavy Traffic. Part of me was yeah, willing to sure. like have a debate between Coonskin and Heavy Traffic, but this discussion really puts it in perspective like how we should understand his career going forward. And there is a lot to like about Wizards, I agree. So I'm fine with what we've got. I also right. initially thought Heavy Traffic was going to be what we were arguing for I, or about. I thought I thought I was because I thought we were going to abandon Coonskin. I thought we were going to let it die in the streets. I thought I thought heavy traffic is what to push for, but I'm I'm okay with Coonskin being number one. Yeah, I think I think the thing is that Coonskin and heavy traffic have a lot of shared DNA in terms of what they want to depict, and particularly in how they you know the stereotype characters that are depicting depicting, and just one of them is a lot more bold and I think more inventive and interesting and expands upon the use of, you know, technique and backgrounds and such, and the live action framework as well. Coonskin uh, mm. feels very indebted to heavy traffic to me, but it feels like a, a continuation of it in, yeah. in, in even bolder directions. Yeah, I guess the only thing that we could do that would possibly make sense would be heavy traffic in two, but I don't know if that's what we want. I mean, I could possibly see that list where it's Coonskin, heavy traffic, then Lord of the Rings, then Wizard, then Fritz. I, I won't do that to Cal. Okay. I won't do that to Cal. Yeah. No, no it's I, fine. I, I just, I, as much as I like heavy traffic, I don't see myself revisiting it like I would. I could. I, 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 I love the pinball thing. Yeah. <laughs> the best, uh, the best argument for pinball since uh, Pinball Wizard, of course, and, and Tommy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I think we've got we've got the list. I think going forward, it's uh, it's gonna be going through the garbage, y'all. Should Is we it? should we read it again? Because I just read a different alternative. Uh, sh should I read what that? Yeah, yeah. Read what the actual okay. ranking is as of right now. So we have Coonskin at number one. At two, we have Lord of the Rings. Three, we have Wizard. Uh, four, we have uh, Heavy Traffic. Uh, five, uh, Fritz the Cat. Um, and we'll see where everything fits in next week. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Be... I I don't have as much expectations for the these next five films. Good. I've, I've seen <laughs> I've seen clips of them and whatnot in my actually research here, but I I have no reading on what their quality is going to be or their general reception. I wonder Going if you thought I was going. Mind. I wonder if you thought I was going to fight more for wizards, or or if you thought I was just uh, 
uh, happy with the third I think, place. I, th I think you fought admirably. I think you fought. I you think know, I, I think I got it to where it should forth. be. Um, yeah, the, uh, the other secret is, and like this is my perspective on ranking things, is is like you can hear, yeah, it, as David said earlier, you can hear Cal Cal's passion. So no matter where it places, we know Cal's stance, and we know how special it can be. Uh, yeah. He's not the only one by any means. Wizards is, you know, uh, I think as you said, perhaps the most beloved of these. I think it and Lord of the Rings are the, are the most that are genuinely enjoyed by the people who watch for a broad audience yeah yeah I'd, I'd say coonskin's probably like most respect like deeply respected by yeah, a culture art, yeah it's uh, it's the most artistically like commented upon you know i think the it's most, the most profound most statement here for sure so i feel good about it being in in one even with the personal uh preferences aside if i rated coonskin i i mean like on a very granular like 100 point scale i think coonskin would probably be my favorite of the whole bunch um but i'm you know i I kind of object to rating it. I think someone else should rate it. Um, it's it's just a weird thing where I'm not going to take like a hard stance. Uh, mm -hmm. I get uncomfortable. I think uh, I think someone else should speak uh, on it, and, uh, and people I, should read someone else. About I, I it. think I think the fact that it makes you uncomfortable is exactly it's what perfect. the film wanted. So I'd say the most successful film here because so deeply uncomfortable to even approach it that I think it's a you know a volatile work, but uh, for good and bad reasons. Uh, that that represents Bakshi in the extreme. Yeah, yep. uh, definitely. So let's uh, go ahead and finish off this uh, conversation by plugging what other podcasts and works and shows and YouTube things we have. The, wh what do we got, guys? What do you got on Daydream Casper? <laughs> We're going to, uh, we just released uh, on Tuesday uh, with Steven, uh, beloved Steven friend of the network and on a million podcasts on here we're about to plug but uh we reviewed war of the monsters and in two weeks uh murph and i are going to uh go over bioshock 2 with a video game youtuber so it's all exciting stuff yeah that i, oh, I yeah. that's how i learned about this uh is, it, is this someone you knew personally bro that you got no i i didn't know this guy personally i uh I liked his content before and then I was in the discord and then I secretly plugged the podcast. And then he was like, I like this. Uh, I'd be on it. And I'd be like, that's good. This is how we do networking everybody. And the dream is there. That's great. I'm glad that that came through. That's awesome. I'm very much looking forward to that, especially for a game that I think is super rad. Bioshock I tried to get on for that game like two weeks ago. Brogan's like, no, we found someone else for your website that we, that we want on. <laughs> it was already taken. We scheduled <laughs> I, I it, it like months in advance. <laughs> I, I was just surprised. I was like, oh, damn, because I wanted to talk about Minerva's Den, like one of my favorite video games, but I'm sure that you know what? might come up. So. You know, we, we can we can mention something else. Uh, I'm thinking of spoiling things, by the way, um, involves emails. And if you want, you should type your opinion and we can read it in the cast. What's a what's the what's the email? email? Uh, we don't have an email yet. I need I need to <laughs> figure that out. I'm okay, so, you personally, Cal. I didn't think about this. So daydreamcast email coming at a later date. I hope so. Uh, I think the spoiling things is thinking of spoiling things at gmail.com. You can email That's them right. about your movie questions or world real world questions or existential Ask them anything. questions. Yeah. yeah, they will they will answer literally, literally anything. anything. Yeah. I just sent them a bunch of nonsense for their upcoming Doctor Strange uh, podcast, and I'm very much looking forward to see 
what they have to say about my wacky questions. They have a very high bar for spoilers, but a very low bar for questions. So I think anything you say will get into the podcast. And please do Absolutely. say anything. Think it is spoiling. What is it? Think it is spoiling yeah, at think Gmail? It, think it is spoiling at Gmail. Okay. Correct. And uh, we have uh, more stacks coming. Uh, stacks upon stacks. The stacks are stacking up with more stacks. And there's uh, a Hong Sang Su uh, feature. A long voice feature done by Stephen, edited by Jack with uh, music embedded in the background. Really gorgeous uh, video. So uh, we have feature content again, uh, profiling directors in their works. So uh, that's launched on the site now. And more a, stuff coming. Their, the Stacks, is that on their, their YouTube channel? Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, embedded on the site as well. We're posting alongside them um, all their free content. Maybe they'll make other content later, but uh, we're going to get most of it. So we're going to post what we can. Um, Great, yeah. Great stuff to look at. Yeah, we love them stacks. And uh, is is the uh, ranking of the monsters coming back soon? I know it this should got, be. Yeah, it, it got called out on the latest stage. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I called it, it? out. <laughs> and from what I understand, it's not Stephen's fault. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely me. not my fault. Um, I think it's all a Stephen thing. He's been like trying to get married and, and stuff during oh, the pandemic, yeah, yeah, which. Uh, that's, uh, that's kind of selfish yeah. of him, wouldn't you say? I know. Uh, here he has uh, his flesh wife on the. Uh, uh, what is, wait, is it his online wife? Is that his? Uh, that's Vaughn. Vaughn's his online right. wife. He has. Right. He, Vaughn has a flesh wife. Yeah. So this Steven's sounds like deflection, yeah. Cal. I st I'm still blaming you. I wouldn't look, blame me. Look, it's that's not. Just, it's uh, not. It's not Calvin's fault. Vaughn and Cal and all I, we all got our flesh wives checked in. We, we took care of that. <laughs> yeah. It's all in the back now. And Steven's lagging behind. That's not what, our fault. What do you think if we change our name to the Flesh Geeks? <laughs> uh, we, we might have to exclusively cover Bakshi? David Cronenberg. Oh, that works too. We should do Cronenberg. Um, uh, yeah, he has a new movie that coming. Shit, we should do that. Stephen would probably do that. Um, uh, yeah, we, we both just haven't watched the Gamera. Uh, either of us have watched neither of the movies. So we will do that eventually. Soon. Look forward yeah. to it coming back. Uh, in, in the meantime... Yeah, 808s and, and five mics, pod, pod breaks, and three <laughs> letters, and pod breaks will be back with Kendrick Lamar's new album, The Future as a New Album. There's a new Cypress Hill documentary. So uh, We're doing three things at a time on that show, so they might come less often, but... Uh, that's expanding. That's still good. Uh, look, we, we, yeah, we've got so many things. That's not like we start for content. And we still have to talk about the next Don't Let the Modern Cast Get You. Oh, you, you guys yeah. having an exclusive new new guest on that one, I hear. Yeah, a very giving, um, beautiful uh, conversation with uh, Charlie Roxburgh, the, the director of most of the uh, Modern Cast. Sometimes he switches out with Farley, but he's directed all of it. And uh, he's got actual credentials like in, in Hollywood uh, editing films and uh, he's just so delightful and um, I say actual credentials because he like goes into like the camera work and the the names of the cameras and the lenses and everything very specific and uh, just total movie nerd in there that we actually we really love uh, uh, all those guys there we've talked to Matt a few times and just got Charlie we're we're looking into some actors next possibly uh, interviewing uh, actors people who act on films of the motor media style that's awesome you guys are are quickly coming up on the uh, uh being up to date with them though right only like a handful <laughs> left until you hit the, the 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 new wave of films now as long as they release five a year then i think we'll be uh, <laughs> i think we'll just keep coming back when they make a new one and, you're on pace yeah mm -hmm. yeah we're on pace but uh, we are finishing um fairly quickly this early phase i think we're already like in the modern phase of motor and where i'd say like 
River Beast is uh, coming up next. And is that uh, next? Damn, that's exciting. Yeah, after this Mount Vegas episode, we'll have River Beast. So uh, we'll see what we do with that. Uh, that should be very exciting. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the one that kicked it all off. I have two copies of that film. <laughs> so. I mean, if you, if you need to get rid of one, I guess. Oh, uh, if you're inter- if you actually watch it, I, I'd say I'd commit to. I will. I, I'll, I'll say. I'll say this. The the reason I haven't watched any yet is because I've been really enjoying, just kind of like listening in <laughs> on on you guys and picturing the whole thing in in my head. It's not that I'm not on board with it by now, and I know Matt listens, so I want him to know that too. How I'm about not I... avoiding your your movies because I'm not interested. It's because I'm I'm enjoying you guys going through everything and the conversation of it all. So I've, I've just been kind of living vicariously first <laughs> and I haven't wanted to, I, I haven't wanted to pierce the imagination bubble of everything yeah. I've pictured yet, yet, yet. It's definitely going, I'm definitely going to though. Yeah, I think that would be the one for you to do. Like that would be a great like marathon inclusion uh, for like Halloween season. I think that would fit so well with like the things you like, like very autumnal and very in the season, uh, very like, um, it's, say like meta horror. for sure. It's one of those like uh, and, horror and, movies where it has like flashing red lights when something dangerous is going to happen. Like it's so <laughs> meta and so cool. <sighs> yeah, we'll get there. We'll, I'll probably gift it to you and maybe you can watch it for like a Halloween thing. Uh, All right. Sounds good. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm holding you to it then. <laughs> How'd you get a second copy anyway? Uh, um, just, I don't know. Uh, they only make so <laughs> many of these. They only make so many of these for the Golden Ninja thing. And I think it was like lost in the mail for a couple months, and then he felt bad, so he sent me a second one. So now I have to. Oh, that's, that's that's cool. That probably should have sent back, but I'll just keep buying his movies as penance. So uh, I'll keep buying Golden Ninja video. Go check them out. They're a fucking cool label, and they have a the Important Cinema podcast, which I've been uh, listening to some of. Uh, they have their own Bakshi episode. Go listen to them. They're cool. Do, do they? Oh, yeah. man. We just, we just can't get away from doing other stuff. I, I will listen to them in preparation for next time. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I'd highly recommend them. Uh, Justin DeClue and Will Sloan, they also wrote the book on Modern, and uh, yeah, they, they produced their movies for physical release. So, cool guys. That's awesome. All right. Thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed the show. Yeah, same. Yep. Uh, looking forward to talking to you guys about more Bakshi in two weeks. Awesome. Exciting. <laughs> See you then. See ya. Bye. Conversations and I post them online for entertainment. It's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world. Things have changed, everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained? Thank you for listening.